Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Good evening. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, uh, for here for session 90 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I, we just had TexMoot this past weekend. Um, had a great, um, a great chance to meet several of you. Uh, it was really cool to uh, see some folks who have been with us for a long time. Uh, and it's funny, I, 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 uh, there were a couple other people that I ran into who, uh, you know, who were like, I'm on, I'm, I'm on number 36, you know, we're, we're going through. And I decided, you know, that um, uh, I decided that we definitely need some kind of, I don't know, people who know Discord better can uh, uh, can tell me this, but we need some kind of badge system, don't we? I mean, like, clearly we need a, I, I feel like p the people who, you know, who binge all, like, 180 hours or whatever it is to this point uh, and catch up with us and then join us live, like, that's a feat, right? That should be, that should be acknowledged <laughs> in some kind of way. So we need some kind of, like, certificate or badge or something, like, this, this, this totally needs to happen. Um, exactly, Tony. Yeah, and then we can have a badge for like I've been live from the beginning and all and all those. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, that, it, it just it kind of seems like this is uh, this is a sufficient <laughs> commitment, one way and another, uh, that it uh, it seems like it should be recognized. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Cool. Very good. Oh, so good to, to see several of you. Um, oh, and Ambro Ambrosius Aurelianus, I got a, I got a, a, a hello from you vicariously uh, from our mutual f friend whom I got to talk to and actually hang out with a good deal more at TechSmooth this year, which was really fun. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And I see, oh, Biotrom is here with whom I think I got to have a nice barbecue lunch unexpectedly. Went into a the closest barbecue place I could find for lunch, of course, I, 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 on Saturday, and uh, there, there, there he was eating lunch. So we uh, had lunch together. That was cool. Um, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> ooh, Harnuth, that's a good suggestion. Yeah, uh, uh, Standing Stone should create titles. Oh, there you go. There should be in-game titles for this. Yeah, that's absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a great that's a great suggestion. Oh, good. And yes, yeah, Sam, you're right. I totally neglected to change the title on on session tonight in Twitch, didn't I? So we just notified everybody that we're starting session 24 of Lamort D'Arthur class again, right? Yeah, well, people figure it out. <laughs> we'll sort it. <laughs> oh well. Every t every single week when I do this, I'm I'm always guaranteed to forget something. Uh, you know, my I, on the one hand, I've always been trying to um, I've always been trying to to be as as inclusive as I can, and I've got now four different interfaces through which I take comments and things simultaneously uh, from uh, from people and stuff, and. Um, Anyway, uh, so, you know, it's it, starting up class every week is this really complicated affair. And I'm always guaranteed to forget something. So there it was, Sam. We'll just have to live with it. We'll ch I'll change it after the fact. I'll try to remember to change it after the fact. I'm sure that uh, uh, Druid's Fire will help me to remember. Okay. Anyway, 
let us begin here tonight. Uh, the first thing, of course, I wanted to mention was just to thank so many of you who came out at TextMoot, which I've already done. Uh, really, really wonderful time. Uh, and uh, I wanted to talk about the future uh, as we here stare down now the uh, the rest of the first half of 2019, thinking about other regional moots and things that are coming up. Uh, so let me um, uh, let me tell you what's happening here. So the next moot that's coming that's coming up is in Orlando on the 23rd of March. So March 23rd, uh, we are doing a moot. Uh, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, it's uh, going to be called Sunshine Moot. I wanted to call it Gator Moot, but then I realized people would think it was like sponsored by the University of Florida because it's actually going to be kind of close to the University of Florida. So uh, anyway, um, but we're we're definitely going to be uh, uh, going to be so it's going to be near Orlando, not in Orlando itself, but it's going to be near Orlando there. It's going to be Sunshine Moot. On the 23rd of March, as I say, uh, and we will have uh, registration information for that and for our next moot uh, after that uh, very soon. Hopefully, uh, I, I hope, by as soon as next week. Um, so, the, the because the next one coming up after Sunshine Moot is Nader Moot. Very exciting. Out in Amsterdam. Well, Leiden. Near Amsterdam. Uh, we're going to be in the Netherlands this year, in Leiden, uh, and that's going to be really, really cool. Uh, so uh, I hope you'll be able to, you know, if those of you who are in those areas, we've not been to Florida, we've never been to the continent. We did go to London last year, which was pretty cool. Uh, we're venturing outside the UK now for the first time. So I hope that, uh, you know, those of you who are in the continental European area there can uh, join us uh, at Nader Moot. And that's going to be in the middle of April uh, is uh, uh, the, uh, the dates on that. Um, now, Fourth Dauntless, it's funny you should mention New Zealand because indeed we are planning to go to New Zealand. Kiwi Moot is scheduled for November 30th, 2019. So later this year in November. And that, November, that, that date, by the way, is the Saturday at the end of... Um, the Saturday at the end of uh, 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 Thanksgiving week uh, this year. Um, so... Anyhow, yeah, so that's totally happening this year. Um, so lots and lots of... And there's going to be more between now and then. Uh, but uh, but it's going to be... Anyway, so I'm hoping to see some of you in Orlando and hoping, hoping to see some of you uh, in... Uh, in um, uh, in the Netherlands, right? And maybe even some of you uh, in, uh, in New Zealand uh, later on down the road. But the other thing that I wanted to tell you guys about, because this is the really big one. Now, oh, yeah, James, Minute Moot is totally going to happen also. Uh, probably in September is what we're thinking. And we haven't f affirmed the date on that one yet, James. Minute Moot uh, in Massachusetts. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, we're, New England will finally get its moot uh, here. The, the one that's actually local to me that I don't have to travel to. Yeah, that's the one that's been taken forever to put together. But that we're looking at that probably September uh, is what we're thinking of for that. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah. So that's going to happen, and it's going to be really cool. But as I say, the really big news, and this is the really big news that is just out today, is where did I put the big news? It's over here. Here's the big news. 
Mythmoot registration is open. Registration for Mythmoot 6. So for those of you uh, who don't know, Mythmoot is our big event of the year. This is the big central event. We do our regional events because we really want to get a chance to connect with folks. We know that not everybody can travel uh, to our big event, which we've been holding now for several years. Uh, so we've been having these smaller regional moots, which have been really, really cool and wonderful opportunities. But they're only like one day long. Right, Mythmoot uh, is a big event. It's uh, it's three full days, really sort of three and a half days, because a lot of us show up on Thursday night and the party starts early. Um, so basically Thursday evening through Sunday, um, and it is awesome. Uh, Mythmoot is is just the best. It's so cool to be able to come to this event, have you know more than three times the amount of 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 programming and getting to meet folks and everything that uh, you get at one of our regional events plus of course we get more people coming in from all over the place uh and um you know and like we're there right we're all staying uh you know most most of us are sort of staying there on the premises we get to share meals together and you know hang out to the wee hours of the morning out uh by the uh, you know, sitting around the fire pits outside, and you know, it's just it's been such a such a wonderful time. I I, I can't even tell you. The regional moots are really just kind of a taste of what uh, what you get at Mythmoot. Mythmoot is located as it has been for the last two years in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, that's right near Dulles Airport, uh, by the way. For for those flying in, it's quite close to Dulles. Um, so. Uh, just wanted to to share that the registration is open. A lot of people have been waiting for the registration to open. The registration is open uh, this year. So if you just go this page, uh, which I will here uh, copy into the Twitch chat uh, for people to see, is signumuniversity.org slash mythmoot. And yes, there's a great room to play games and otherwise wind down from the stress of being surrounded by people. Yes, the room of requirement. We added that last year, which was really, really cool. Uh, and uh, Valori actually ran it last year. Uh, she did a wonderful job of that. So, yeah. Um, um, absolutely. So, um, and yeah, Dima, it is easy to get to uh, with the airport near the conference center. Absolutely. Um, oh, cool. Oh, Tamsin is here. Great, Tamsin. I didn't see you before. Yes, Tamsin is helping to organize Kiwi Moot. Yes, we have here. We have live with us one of our Kiwi Moot organizers. Very cool. Um. Anyway, yeah. Okay, good. So let's see. Um. I think. There you go, Tiri Thorn. Here you go. Hey, look, True Fire beat you to it. Bam. Okay. All right. So excellent. Um. Uh. So, to, to, wanted to make sure everybody knew Mythmoot is happening. The dates, as you can see, are June 27th to, to 30th. And if you go to this page, signumuniversity.org slash Mythmoot, and scroll down, you can see Diana Glyer is one of our confirmed VIP guests this year. She's going to be coming and giving a keynote talk. If you don't know Diana Glyer's work, she's really wonderful. The, the company they keep uh, is an excellent book. It's a, sort of, it, it's a book which talks about the Inklings as a writer's group, essentially, as sort of the, the uh, their creative minds working in community. Uh, really, really uh, cool insights uh, into the life and work of uh, the Inklings, uh, I think. I really I really enjoy that book. I'm really looking forward to having Diana Glyer with us there. Um, okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, Biotrom, you produced the audiobook version of Bandersnatch? That is so cool! Yeah, nifty. Um... 
Yeah, cool. Anyway, so you can see you've got the uh, the button here to register for MythMoot. Also, there's a call for papers. Uh, it, you know, th there are lots of suggestions uh, that um, uh, that you know we've made during the course of our class here, right? As we've been talking about different patterns and concepts and ideas that we've come across uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring. Lots of potential things for good uh, MythMoot presentations. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm not quite sure, JJ, why they put the picture of me posing with the weapon. Uh, it's not meant to be threatening, uh, but I guess it kind of fits with our theme, right, uh, which is dragons uh, this year. So I suppose if Mythmoot were to be attacked by an actual dragon, uh, that's just how I would want to be armed, uh, in fact. So it's all good. Um, yeah, so... Um, Anyhow, so as I say, this is the big mood. The big news here is uh, is myth mood, and yep, you can submit paper proposals. Uh, that's all set. Um, definitely, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Always. That was uh, it. Was fun taking uh, taking pictures with the spear. Um, that was when I decided that Signum we shouldn't have a have a mace, right? Yes, that is eye gloss, actually. Yes, it's the eye gloss that was, uh, uh, that was made. It is such a gorgeous weapon, uh, uh, made for John DiBartolo. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, so, um, uh, but yes, yeah, so, you know, a, a lot of universities have a ceremonial mace. It's like a thing. It was a thing anyway, back in the 18th century, a lot of the older, uh, uh the older universities have one, but I've decided I, I don't, I don't, I don't want a ceremonial mace for Signum, uh, and a ceremonial spear of that size, as awesome as it is, would be kind of challenging to travel with, but I'm thinking of, uh, we need a staff. We need like a good wizardly staff, uh, that, uh, you know, I can I can carry in procession uh, during uh, during our graduation ceremonies and things. That absolutely needs to happen at some point. Um, at so someday, someday. Um, cool. All right. Um, yeah, see, a lot of I, I think that the schools just sort of stole it from the governments. I think that uh, the New Zealand Parliament, Tamsin says, and I think the British government or, or Parliament as well uh, has a ceremonial mace. I think that's where they in, in, in inherited the concept, basically. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think it would be cool to to have something, uh, you know, a little bit less, uh, uh, you know, fancy, a little more practical. Frankly, uh, most of the I've seen some of those ceremonial maces and. Not scaring anybody with those, uh, but uh, you know, a nice staff, nice wizardly staff that would totally be, that would totally be the way to go. Um, all right. Oh yeah, other thing quickly. So several of you have been asking about the uh, Tolkien exhibit in New York at the Morgan Library, right? Which opens this weekend, which is really really cool. Um, so um, um, anyway, so so I um, I would uh, I. I so yeah, the questions people have been asking. So of course, for those of you who haven't heard of it, oh my gosh, look it up. Like so, you may have heard of the big exhibit that was over in the Bodleian. Most of it, not all of it, but most of it is coming uh, to America and is going to be exhibited at the Morgan Library in New York City. And a lot of you have been asking, are we going to do something? Like, are we getting together? What's going on? So we we tried it a, a while back to see if we could set up like an official New York moot uh, to coincide with the Morgan exhibit. That was a little hard because you know, of course, it's it's uh, it's challenging. To to get uh, uh, to get the space and stuff, 
so we um, uh, we've uh, we've there are a couple things going on here. First, um, the uh, New York. Uh, the New York City Tolkien Conference is holding a conference at the Morgan Library, and I'm planning to attend that. Um, I think that's a really it's, it's going to be a really cool conference. I recommend uh, that you guys come then. And uh, we're probably going to have a get together. Uh, no, not probably. We're definitely going to be planning uh, on having a get together then. I'll give you guys more details afterwards. So we're going to and this this actually is kind of better, right? Then they can organize the conference and we don't have to. And then we'll just have a party afterwards. So so, yeah, we're going to have a, a mood up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mad violinist. That's what we're going to do. So after um, after the uh, the the. The, the New York uh, uh, Tolkien conference conference at the Morgan. We'll have a we'll ha- we'll we'll go somewhere and we'll have dinner and a pint together uh, and uh, uh, have a great time down there in New York. The other thing I wanted to draw your attention to this is a, a totally separate event. This is a ticketed event, um, but I was invited to uh, to be uh, to speak to moderate a panel. Uh, on the uh, the Tolkien exhibit, just wanted to share that with you guys. This is at the Sheen Center for Thought and Culture in New York. It's affiliated with the uh, the Catholic Archdiocese of New York. Um, and as you can see, the date on this one is Tuesday, February twelfth at seven p.m. So it's quite quite close, only a few weeks away. Um, and uh, I'm going to be. As I say, moderating a panel, the other people on the panel are going to be uh, John T. McQuillan, who's the the curator of the event at the Morgan, and Holly Ordway, uh, a really great Tolkien scholar, uh, who's done uh, you know some work on on Tolkien's visual imagination here and uh, and the sort of the connections between uh, uh, Tolkien's work and his Christianity. Really interesting stuff uh, that uh, uh, that Dr. Ordway is working on. So the three of us are going to be on this panel. We're going to be looking at different images from the collection and discussing and talking about those. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a really great time. So I just recommend that to you. Um, if you just go to sheencenter.org, uh, you can find that, but I will, uh, also post the link to that in the Twitch chat as well. If you wanted to look into that, um, but as I said, we're, so we're going to, we're going to have a, a big get together in March, uh, in conjunction with the New York Tolkien conference. This is a separate little smaller event, but I wanted to let you guys know it, uh, uh, it should be should be uh, a a really interesting conversation uh, and a great evening. So I think tickets are, what, like 20 bucks for this event. Uh, So not that much, certainly, by New York standards. Uh, So cool. All right. Um, So this should be really cool. Those are my, I know lots of announcements today uh, I had, but lots of cool stuff going on, opening MythMoot up, and and, I wanted to give you guys an update on the other moots and everything. So... Uh, in order to compensate uh, for uh, my spending a long time in announcements, I'm not going to do notes and queries today. Uh, there were some really good discussions on the discussion board, which I, 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 I sort of recommend to you. I, I was particularly um, uh, enjoying the discussion that you guys had on uh, what, what the, the, the post is called Blue Collar Elves. It was about our, our sort of the discussion that we've been having about um, you know, what do like elf servants do and how does that work? And I thought there were some really, really smart things that, uh, uh, that people were saying in that thread. Uh, so I really wanted to recommend that. I kind of didn't want to open that box again and talk about it more, uh, in class tonight. But as I say, I strongly recommend that also, uh, uh, Bruce Bricktails, uh, posted on, uh, Glorfindel's Bells. Uh, and, uh, I, I thought that that was also, uh, 
that was also a really good discussion as well. So just wanted to recommend some of those, but I, I don't have passages to 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 quote for you here. Um, so the uh, discussion board, by the way, is on forums.signumuniversity.org, um, and uh, if you go on there, you'll see there's a there's a, a sub forum for uh, Mythgard on Lotro, and we're the exploring the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, one in there. Um, so that's where you can find it. Um, and that's where I go every week to uh, uh, look at people's comments in the questions for Narnian uh, subforum, and uh, and that's where I get the comments that I'm po- most of the comments that I'm posting here. Some of them I'll get by email occasionally, or or uh, uh, even occasionally by Twitter, but usually uh, they're through the discussion forum there. All right, today we are approaching the Ford. Now I actually have the entire rest of Book One of the Fellowship of the Ring on slides tonight. We're not going to get there. I mean, there's no chance of it at all. But they're there, right? I'm ready. So basically, I've begun the countdown to the end of uh, of, uh, of book one. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how well we do here. Um, oh, yes, and Bruinier Film Film is on there too. That's also where you find the Film Film discussion boards as well. Yep, yep. Okay. Here we go. I'll change it. It's not exactly the final countdown. It's like... The first of many countdowns, really. Um, but it's kind of a big deal, right? We've come to the ends of chapters before, but this is the first time we're coming to the end of a book, actually. Uh, so um, so there we are. Okay. Um, cool. All right. Yes, the long leisurely sprint to the first major milestone. That's it. That's it. Okay. Let's jump Right in, then. Uh, They had rested rather less than five hours when they took to the road again. Glorfindel still urged them on, and only allowed two brief halts during the day's march. In this way, they covered almost twenty miles before nightfall, and came to a point where the road bent right and ran down towards the bottom of the valley, now making straight for the Bruinen. So far there had been no sign or sound of pursuit that the hobbits could see or hear, but often Glorfindel would halt and listen for a moment, if they lagged behind and a look of anxiety clouded his face. Once or twice he spoke to Strider in the elf-tongue. But however anxious their guides might be, it was plain that the hobbits could go no further that night. They were stumbling along, dizzy with weariness, and unable to think of anything but their feet and legs. Frodo's pain had redoubled, and during the day things about him faded to shadows of ghostly grey. He almost welcomed the coming of night, for then the world seemed less pale and empty." Okay. Um, yeah, Eternal Cow, and I still love your name there. Uh, Glorfindel is a hard taskmaster, right? It's one of the very striking things that we see uh, when they are in the hands of Glorfindel, right? Is that he he, he drives them along mercilessly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, and I, it's uh, you can see his urgency, right? Everything that he's been doing so far has been oriented towards getting them and Frodo, especially, to Rivendell as soon as possible, right? And I think that um, I think that um, that by itself is interesting, right? I mean, we already talked about Glorfindel being able to resist the Nine, right? And them withdrawing as he approaches. And yeah, it seems that he doesn't want to stand up to all nine of them. Um, you'd think that maybe, 
since he seems to have gone one on five without any problem, that he might go uh, against all of the nine with Aragorn and the hobbits, uh, who are surprisingly uh, resilient uh, against Nazgul, um, you know, with him. But that's not what he's thinking, right? Um, What he's thinking uh, here, I think, is simply all about getting Frodo out of there. And I'm th- I, g- I go back to that thought that I had last week, that thing that I'd never really noticed before, you know, our discussion last week about him putting Frodo on the back of Asphaloth, right? That he's not only thinking about helping Frodo escape, he's also thinking about overriding Frodo's own will, right? If Frodo were to choose to go running off towards the Nazgul, he will not have the power to do that, right? Asphaloth will take Frodo against his will, if necessary, um, to, uh, to Rivendell. And it seems that Glorfindel's, um, Glorfindel's priority seems to be to sort of keep Frodo out of contact with them. Um, yeah. And JJ agreed. The, 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 Hobbits are still horribly affected by the Nazgul as well. It's not that uh, we would have any reason to think that Glorfindel would be cocky, right? And be like, bring on the Nazgul, we don't care. Uh, that's clearly not um, That's clearly not how things would go here, right? And how he would think about it. Um, yeah. Um, now, I agree... Um, I agree, uh, Matt that the point of view here is kind of interesting. Um, Matt thinks that Frodo is the likely narrator, and the description of the day is as hazy as the description of Frodo's point of view at the end of the passage. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't... We don't get much, right, about their... Um, about the day. Um, we get very little details. One question I have. What do you think... Um, what do you think Gorfindel and Strider are talking about? See what I mean? Um, he's speaking to Strider in the elf tongue. About what, do you think? Um, Gorfindel would halt and listen if they lagged behind and get a look of anxi- and, and a look of anxiety clouded his face. What's he hearing or not hearing that is causing anxiety? Is this simply... Um, is this simply listening? You know, he's just generally anxious and is listening while he's anxious in case he hears something, but he doesn't hear anything at the time. Or is there something or, yeah, uh, Luke, I, I also wonder if he can feel the wraiths approaching. That seems to me kind of likely. Um, and actually I really, I really like that, that if he, if he can kind of feel that they're getting closer, Right then, he's he's listening because his ears will pick them up second. Right, he can feel them first. His ears would hear them next, and then they would come into view. Right, um, so he's maybe what telling Strider um, they're close. Right, they're getting close. I can feel them coming nearer, but you know I don't hear them yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, uh, let's see, Tony is... Sugge- yeah, and Fourth Dauntless, too, suggesting maybe they're discussing Frodo's health, right? 
Um, maybe it's maybe it's Frodo he's focused on and whom he's talking to Strider about. Um, and we know that Strider has been trying to keep up their spirits, especially about Frodo, especially with Sam, right? And if um, uh, if Glorfindel has very grave concerns, as there's plenty of reason for him to have, right? Um, then it would make sense that he would speak uh, to Strider in the elf tongue. Though, interestingly, Frodo should be able to understand him at least a little bit, right? If they're talking in the elf tongue, but uh, that's not... Um, and actually, you know, in that way, Matt, you could make an argument that this is a Sam passage for that reason, right? He spoke to Strider in the elf tongue. Kind of sounds like how Sam would describe it, whereas uh, um, Frodo might be able to make something out of it, maybe? Sam might be too out of it. Um yeah, Mary, and I have to think that Gorfindel knows how close uh, uh, Frodo is to fading, or you know, is, is watching him fade. Right? Every reason to think that. Um, <laughs> Ambrosius Aurelianus is uh, thinking that Glorfindel might be anxious that he's going to be replaced for the movies. Yeah, yeah, boy, a fear which will be so horribly borne out again and again. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, for Thoughtless, it is possible, of course, that Frodo's too far gone to really process it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Mad Violinist, I do agree that it's interesting, that it is interesting that Glorfindel doesn't do his searching the wound thing again, right? It suggests that... Um, so, how I take that... I mean, I, I have to assume... If this were something that he could just do, right? If he could, uh, you know, be like, clear, and, you know, boom, and, and, and give Frodo a burst of whatever it was he gave him a burst of, like a little little burst of warmth and hope in his shoulder, he'd be doing that regularly, right? Um, but he doesn't do it, so I tend to think that that's not what's happening there, right? But instead, what Frodo was feeling was, you know, sort of the will of Gorfindel. I'm not sure how to describe it. I want to use an outward. He's not drawing in. He's pushing out, right? But, like, striking out against the wound, right? Uh, Putting his will against the power of the wound. But I think he's done... um, I think he's done what he can, right? Um, And he, he can't do more. It's not like a, you know, okay, I gave you five extra hit points before. I can give you five extra hit points every after a short rest. You know, that's not what's happening, right? Um... He's uh, he 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 did what his will was capable of doing against this wound, and it is apparently only very temporary, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, right. But however anxious their guides might be, it was plain the hobbits could go no further that night. They were stumbling along, dizzy with weariness, unable to think of anything but their feet and legs. 
Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Tony, I think it was you who said this is a passage that was written by somebody who's been on nocturnal forced marches before. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I uh, think you're right about that, right? Uh, uh, Tolkien's war experience doubtless serving him here. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, Dime, exactly. Glorfindel doesn't know uh, about the shard of the, the, the weapon in the wound, right? Uh, and that's going to be what is the, the thing that's going to cure Frodo, is the finding and removal uh, of that shard of, uh, of blade. Um, so yeah, I mean, that would make sense of why Glorfindel is not able to do much more. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cecilia, I get that. And I think you're right. I had a couple other people were saying similar things that uh, Frodo being as wiped out as he is here, the idea that he can't, you know, here's me being like, come on, why can't you translate the Elvish? Frodo might be asking a little much. I, I, I get that. I get that. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and 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 sure, I, you know, obviously Gorfindel is going to attempt surgery here, but again, you can see why he is. You know, remember his comment to Sam: "All the more, you know, do I do I urge you to go on without rest." He he knows that this is urgent. He knows this really needs Elrond's attention, right? Uh, so he's pushing. Uh, he's pushing for that. Um, I agree that the. Um, uh, Let's see, who was it who was talking about this? Um, the welcoming the night. Mike, yeah. Um, welcoming the coming of, coming of night is very creepy and terrifying. I, I totally agree. Um, during the day, things about him had faded to shadows of ghostly gray. That's what was happening before. Before Glorfindel and his glowing white light showed up, right? Frodo was already beginning to see, with his waking eyes, without wearing the ring, things in that wraith world, right? And shadows were coming in between him and his friends. Now, everything about him is fading to shadows of ghostly gray again, and that he almost welcomed the coming of night. Um, and I really love that whole expression there, Mike. Isn't that, isn't that both unsettling and creepy, uh, but also really poignant, right? He, he doesn't quite welcome the coming of, uh, the coming of, of night, right? But almost he does, right? He's this close to fading himself. Um, for then the world seemed less pale and empty, right? The daytime is now pale and empty for him. And at night, he can see better, right? And things, what are more, more vibrant, right? He can see better. Keep in mind, what? Remember, Gandalf has already told Frodo not to travel by night, right? Um, and we begin to see why. Uh, if this is the world that the Nazgul are basically living in twenty four seven, they're going to be mostly blind during the day, um, and see much better at night. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wheel Rider thinks that next he'll be cursing the yellow face. Exactly. Something like that. Um, Tony, I think definitely Gorfindel can see the slight fading and transparency that Gandalf perceived later. I, I think that I think that 
Gorfindel can perceive this here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, Lady Shmebuak. Got to meet Lady Shmebuak in Texas, too. Good to, good to see you here again. Um, cool. <laughs> Lincoln says, now comes the night, right? Not quite. Uh, almost he welcomed the night, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I agree. What is it? Uh, Tirithorn. I agree, Tirithorn, that uh, the Nazgul will have grown accustomed to operating uh, in the daytime when they need to, absolutely. Um, but, but again, you can still see why it is uh, they are less likely to get spotted, right, and to have trouble with the Nazgul during the day than during the night. Um, yeah, yeah. And Mike, I suspect that you're right. Um, you know, he has Frodo on the back of Asphaloth so that he can send him off at a moment's notice, right? But yeah, he doesn't want to just send him off right now because he doesn't know. Maybe they're not coming up from behind, right? Maybe they've come around in front. Maybe there's, I mean, if he just sends Frodo galloping down the road, maybe he's going to be galloping straight into a bunch of Nazgul, right? So he, you know... Uh, he's waiting to pull the trigger on, you know, the escape to Rivendell plan, but if he if it if he sends him off too early, then he's just sending Frodo off alone. Alone with the elf horse, right? Which is not nearly the same as just all by himself. Um but um but still. And JJ, I think the Nazgul's spot checks are penalized by a good deal more than uh minus one uh during daylight. I think uh I think I, I, w- I would personally give him a negative five to spot checks myself, but uh, yeah, or you, you know, disadvantage on spot checks that'll work. Um, yeah, now Darren, great question. What does it mean? Uh, hang, hang on a second, Darren. You are up. What are you up later early? Holy cow! I was just processing that you're here, Darren. Uh, so Darren's in England, or at least it's where you usually are, Darren. I don't know, maybe you're on the road? Up late. My goodness, yes. Anyway, so Darren says, what does it mean when Frodo perceives the world as empty? Um, yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, for then the world seemed less pale and empty. Empty, I take to mean primarily that he... Um, the shadows coming between him and his friends, he can't see the living world around him. And I would think that he is primarily, um, he is primarily aware of his, um, aware of sort of the shortcomings of his vision, right? He's, you know, it's daylight. He's used to seeing the stuff around him and he can't. Um, because of course he, it's not just that he's being, given access and being allowed to see into, you know, the shadow world, he's also um, getting cut off uh, from the regular living world. Um, So the world around him looks empty because of that shadow that has fallen between him uh, and everything else, right? And he just can't see it anymore. Um, And that's interesting, Kit. Kit suggests that he's taking less interest in his friends. Um, Perhaps. Um... We don't see him worrying about his friends. Um, yeah, I think the people about him are fading to shadows of ghostly gray. Um, but, Darren, perhaps that's what Kit was referring to. Um, uh, yeah, that um, 
things about him faded to shadows of ghostly gray that we see him not showing as much concern right um before it, the 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 way that that described was the shadow would come between him and his friends right and now it's not there's not a reference to his friends just things around him you know the trees the grass the horse his friends uh you know uh, all of the the things are in this sort of same category here uh yeah um now i think cecilia i think it was you who just posted um that you're that is interesting um so uh this is in response to um who is it darren yeah uh to darren's comment about the world being empty um and cecilia was remembering that there's an interesting parallel between that and what we will see from uh frodo in mordor later on right when he can't remember when he can't remember anything any of the happy and good things right um uh, there's uh it's sort of an interesting parallel i think um so uh yeah cool um yeah good um yeah tony says this is also this is also like depression yeah yeah i mean all of the hobbits seem to be kind of turned in on themselves the you know the the you know uh, mary and pippin and sam are unable to think of anything but their feet and legs right as they're just staggering along you know barely conscious uh as they as they keep moving here yeah absolutely absolutely the hobbits were still weary when they set out again early next morning there were many miles yet to go between them and the ford and they hobbled forward at the best pace they could manage our peril will be greatest just ere we reach the river, said Glorfindel, for my heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us, and other danger may be waiting by the ford. The road was still running steadily downhill, and there was now in places much grass at either side, in which the hobbits walked when they could to ease their tired feet. In the late afternoon they came to a place where the road went suddenly under the dark shadow of tall pine trees, and then plunged into a deep cutting with steep, moist walls of red stone. Echoes ran along as they hurried forward, and there seemed to be a sound of many footfalls following their own. All at once, as if through a gate of light, the road ran out again from the end of the tunnel into the open. There at the bottom of a sharp incline they saw before them a long, flat mile, and beyond that the ford of Rivendell. On the further side was a steep brown bank, threaded by a winding path, and behind that the tall mountains climbed, shoulder above shoulder, and peak beyond peak, into the fading sky. Okay. Um, yeah, good. Um, Ooh, interesting. Kyle uh, Winiecki says it's almost similar to uh, what Curran experiences on Thangorodrim, seeing the world as Morgoth and Sauron see the world, right, when he, he sort of sees the world through through Morgoth's eyes, right? Uh, that Frodo's experience here is almost like that. That is interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. Of course, I mean, it's not, ex- obviously it's not the same phenomenon. I know you don't mean that Huron is undergoing the same prize. Huron's not being wraithified, right? Um, but it is interesting. Um, and, you know, Kyle, the main thing that to me suggests sort of something along those lines is that idea of the shadow passing between um, 
uh, Frodo and his friends, right? It's not just like, I can't see anybody anymore, right? Something has intervened. Something is preventing him seeing like he normally saw this shadow is, right? And of course, um, I'm thinking back, Matt, to the the wonderful paper that you gave at Magnolia Moot, uh, thinking about what is Sauron's magic? Like, what is it? How does it work? Um, what evidence can we see from the text about how that functions? Um, and this this uh, this image of the shadow uh, and, you know, the shadow coming in between things and lying on things and stuff like that is uh, very much uh, was a was a big part of uh, what Matt was discussing it was a really, really good paper. Um, yeah, good. Um, excellent. Um, okay, so Glorfindel's heart warns him that the pursuit is now swift behind us. Um, a couple weeks back, we had a long discussion about the use of the word heart. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this happened in, during my Grifflet uh, stream. I think it was two weeks ago. Might have been three. I can't remember. But anyway, just recently, we had this discussion about how what the word heart means uh, when uh, Tolkien uses it in the Lord of the Rings. And we were, uh, you know, people were sort of throwing different quotations at me. We were making a bunch of observations and some different categories of things. And this is definitely uh, one, uh, definitely one of those uh what I was calling category one, because uh, it's the first one that I thought of, uh, of the use of heart. Uh, and that is this sort of foreboding of the future, that when, you know, Tolkien uses the word heart, you know, my heart warns me when someone has some kind of spiritual sense, whether it be a spiritual sense of uh, a foreboding of what's going to happen in the future, um, as, like, you know, Aragorn sometimes does, right? Um, or, um, uh, or whether it's... Uh, like Gandalf's heart telling him that something wasn't right about the ring, right? Remember, we got some of that back in chapter two. That is, I think, very clearly the sense in which Gorfindel is using it here. My heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us. He just has a sense. So here is, um, here is my, um, here's my question for this, because I'm not quite sure what I think about this. My heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us. Does this mean, um, Amy? Yes, I agree. Like intuition or, or foresight is exactly what uh, uh, what heart in this sentence seems to be connected to. Um, but anyway, okay. So when Gorfinnel says, "My heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us," I can't. Um, I can't decide whether this makes it more or less likely. Uh, that Glorfindel can actually sense the approach of the Nazgul. I can kind of see it either way, right? I mean, if he does just sense that they're not too far away and approaching, right? Maybe that's what he means when he says, my heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us. But given that the that whole my heart warns me construction tends to be things that people use, Amy, exactly like you said, for a, a foreboding or an intuition. If he can actively perceive it, then he wouldn't say it that way, right? You know, he wouldn't say, my heart warns me that the pursuit is now swift behind us. He'd say, like, my spidey senses tell me, right? Or, you know, I, my, 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 my elf lord senses tell me that the, that the pursuit is... That is... This kind of sounds like he's 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 
you know, making a prediction or, or, or communicating a foreboding rather than uh, that he's relaying some kind of sensory experience, right? Um, it could be a mix of both, Darren. It's possible that he has been sensing them, their distant presence, if that is not a contradiction in terms, right? He, he, he's, he, he's feeling them still at a distance, can't tell. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not a finely calibrated sense, right? So he can't exact, he can't like triangulate and figure out exactly how far they are away. He just kind of knows that they're there and he knows that they're approaching. Um, and so maybe he starts with that and then his heart warns him that the pursuit is now swift, right? Uh, that they're approaching quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting Cecilia speculating maybe he says it that way my heart warns me just because the hobbits it'll be easier for the hobbits to understand easier for the hobbits to say my intuition tells me that they're coming rather than saying I can perceive them don't ask me how it's complicated no you can't do this except maybe Frodo and that's a really bad sign so let's move on Um, maybe (laughs) maybe that would just be uh, sort of um, uh, quicker in that way Um, yeah yeah um Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. Mad Violinist says, if the sense of presence is there, but below conscious perception, it would or could manifest as prediction. Sure. Yeah. I I think he's, I mean, if it's at all accessible by his conscience, conscious mind, it would be right. I mean, he's clearly orienting himself, but you know, if he has antenna, he's got them oriented back down the road. Right. Uh, 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 you know, uh, trying to sense the Nazgul. So, um, I don't think it would be unconscious on his part, but, um, anyway, <laughs> Brunier is wondering, uh, if his heart told him that only, a, that, uh, that, uh, no man is going to, is going to kill the witch King. Um, probably though he didn't phrase it that way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Lady Shmebulak, I agree. Uh, somebody doing a comic of Glorfindel's elf lord senses going off. That would be good. I agree. Um, oh, interesting. JJ says, yeah, and that's kind of, kind of like what I was saying before, but I think, uh, I think she says it better here. Maybe he can sense that the Nazgul are near, um, but his heart tells him they've picked up the trail and are rushing toward them. Yeah, so he can't he can't he can't get that much detail uh, from his uh, from his elf lord senses. Uh, but uh, but his heart tells him that that's uh, that's what's going on. Uh, cool. All right. Um, excellent. Um, yeah, Tamsin, that is a really interesting question. Uh, when he says, other danger may be waiting by the ford, what does that exactly mean? Tamsin says, you know, is it like, does he just mean other Nazgul, right? Or is he thinking of something else? I agree that the use of other is interesting. Um, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily, I wouldn't speculate that that necessarily meant that he's imagining the Nazgul have brought some kind of backup and it's waiting by the ford, right? Um, but um, uh, probably, since he says the pursuit is swift behind us and other danger may be waiting by the ford, um, 
I, I, I assume that in both cases he's talking about the Nazgul. Um, but I agree, it is a slightly odd... Do you think he's thinking like Gildor here? Like he doesn't want to name them, lest, uh, uh, lest terror should keep them from their road? I mean, like, it's not like it's going to be a secret, exactly, but is he, is he being indirect just because he's not wanting to... He's trying to freak them out? Um, <laughs> yeah, Tony, I agree. I've got a bad feeling about this. Would be a would be a fairly good. I think that's uh, uh, that's clearly um, if Han Solo were in uh, were in the Lord of the Rings, uh, he would probably say instead, uh, "My heart tells me that uh, uh, that uh, you know." Uh, my heart, my heart forebodes ill. Uh, uh, is it might be perhaps what Han Solo would say in in uh, in Middle Earth. Yeah, cool. Um, okay. Yeah, good. Um, uh, Tirithorn is wondering why is it here called the Ford. Of Rivendell instead of the Ford of Bruinen. Um, that's a really interesting point, and I would say um, that um, I think it's important. The Ford of Bruinen, of course, the river is the Bruinen, right? And the Ford is the Ford in it. So Ford of Bruinen is perfectly descriptive, right? Um, but it is also the Ford of Rivendell. Right. Uh, in that, it's the ford that you cross on the way to Rivendell, but obviously in a greater sense than that. Right. Um, El- obviously, Elrond of Rivendell has a more significant relationship with the river Bruinen. Right. Um, and I think that that's what is being hinted at there in calling it the ford of Rivendell. This is special. This is this ford is in a special way like the doorstep to Rivendell. Right. Um, if they can cross. And I think that there's a reason. Um, I think there's a reason why the Nazgul are all trying to get them on this side of the Ford. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. JJ, again, JJ says it really well. Their focus is less on the geographic feature uh, and uh, more on the, the safety that it marks. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a good way to think about it there, too. Um, but Penlaw, I mean, you're right. It, it makes it really conspicuous. Right. Um, because you still have to find uh, Rivendell. Right? It's not like it's the boundary of Rivendell or something, or as soon as you cross the Ford of Rivendell, uh, congratulations, you're in Rivendell. Uh, no, it's actually still quite a journey from there, right? And, uh, like, Gandalf has a hard time finding the entrance to Rivendell in The Hobbit. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it is, It is. I think, there, you know, significant. It's not just a geographical boundary, therefore. Calling it the Ford of Rivendell, I think, foreshadows the, as I said, more significant relationship there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, trifle, yeah, something like a day's journey, uh, exactly, uh, is what we see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, um, let's look at that description. I am with, I forget who was a while back, um, but uh, I, I, am, I am with you, whichever one of you it was who said that... Um, 
you had never really noticed the um, the the cutting that they're going through. Yes, it's it's easy to. I, I find you know sometimes sometimes modern readers, of which I am one, are kind of impatient uh, and often tend to kind of glaze over at Tolkien's landscape descriptions uh, and uh, and not really do the work of actually picturing what Tolkien is describing, right? Sometimes I catch myself having done that. Even when I know the words and phrases really well, uh, I will still sometimes realize, okay, actually I didn't really picture everything that he described there. Um, but uh, but the description here is really interesting. Look at, look at the, the sort of shape of this again, right? The road is running downhill, and for a while there's grass on either side, which is refreshing to the hobbit's uh, to the hobbit's feet, right? Um, and then it's late afternoon, so the sun is going down, it's starting to get dark, and then the road goes under the shadow of tall pine trees. So it's already darkening, right? Or at least, you know, the sun is westering. Um, and then they enter the shadow of the tall pine trees. Now, it's just pine trees, right? Nothing especially malevolent about pine trees. And yet again, with all of the whole shadow coming over Frodo's vision and stuff, right? The idea of them being overshadowed as the sun is going down feels a little bit ominous, right? And then they plunge, right? Not just enter into a cutting. They plunge uh, into a, into a deep cutting with steep, moist walls of red stone. Moist is the, the word I'm most interested in there, right? Um, uh, what a what a wonderful almost like tactile description right of these walls, um, and the echoes right they uh, they they can hear the echoes of their own feet. Notice, of course, this is not the only time in this book that they are going to hear what sounds at first like echoes of their own feet, and later turns out to be, in fact, something following them. Right. Um, we will get that again uh, in a more famous place later on down the road, exactly Mad Violinist in Moria. Um, but it's interesting that we see it here first, right? Um, that sense of, oh, it's probably just our own footsteps and the footsteps of Bill and Asphaloth that we're hearing, right? Now, Marianne, is, that's a good question. Marianne asks, is a cutting a tunnel? Um, the word cutting, I mean, here I just kind of passed over that. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, because the word cutting was a very, very common word in the first half of the 20th century in England, right? If you're in 20th century England and you're using the word cutting, what are you describing? Right? What does that word apply to generally? Yeah, a man-made cutout Usually for a, a, a for a railway, Mike. Exactly. Yeah, a railway cutting. Uh, it was very very common. Um, yeah. So exactly, Mad Violinist. It's an open roofed passage where the road is cut through rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's called cutting because people actually cut it. Right. It's 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 artificial. It's carved out in order to make way um, for the for the train. Right. Um, yeah. So, Marianne, I never thought of that in my life before. Is this artificial? Was this actually made? Um, we know that the road has been passing through cutting, through 
you know, uh, th th there have been cliffs on either side before. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah Corey Schwab says her dad's a highway engineer and uses that term all the time. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely they use it for highways uh, 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 all the time, too. Um, and it is a lot of work without power tools or dynamite art and crayon. I can only imagine. Right. Um, yeah. Mad violinist. I, I agree. I mean, the more um, the more we think about it, it almost has to be actually artificial, right? Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be called cutting. It's possible, the only thing that I can think is that it's possible that um, Tolkien in describing it is calling it, is like comparing it to a cutting because that will help his readers to picture it more clearly. Um, not that it was actually cut, but it is, uh, you know, a little cleft uh, the road passes through this little cleft valley, um, which looks as if it were uh, a cutting, right? But there's nothing really in the language that suggests that he's using it metaphorically, right? Um, yeah. Now, Penlove, I agree, the men of Arnor would be more than capable of making a cutting for the road, uh, as would the dwarves, presumably, right? Um... Arden Crayon points out uh, that uh, uh, compared to carving out Moria, you know, a little cutting through the uh, uh, through these uh, uh, moist red walls here would not actually be that big of a um, uh, that 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 big of a uh, a challenge. Um, Darren, the the word moist here does make me wonder if it could be a gully formed by water erosion. Um, I think that's I think that that's very possible. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Tony, the dwarves aren't wanting to go to Rivendell, but this is still the 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 dwarf road, right? The dwarves are the original ones who made this road. Or at least they're the ones who get credit for it. They're, you know, it's called the dwarf road. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, they wouldn't. So they they were just headed towards the mountains, which are right there, right? Um, besides which, you wouldn't necessarily want a highway with cuttings and everything heading to your, you know, secret valley, <laughs> right? So I don't think the elves would necessarily do this. Um, I'm not sure the elves would make a cutting anyway. Cuttings don't seem like elvish kinds of things, do they? Um, yeah. And good, yeah, Sharon and uh, um, uh, who else was talking about the um, the tunnel? Somebody else was talking about the word tunnel. Anyway, um, uh, Marianne. Okay, okay. Oh, that's why I couldn't find it scrolling back. It was over there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all at once, through a gate of light, the road ran out again from the end of the tunnel into the open. Okay. So now here I'm, uh, 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 here I'm thinking about metaphor again. Nothing in the description that I can see before that point leads me to believe that it is an actual tunnel. Like that there's stone above them. 
<clears throat> they're under the shadow of pine trees. They plunge into a deep cutting, but again, a cutting is is open. You know, it's the, that's the difference between a cutting and a tunnel, right? So the fact that he calls it a deep cutting, but it's a deep cutting, and so you know they're almost surrounded. You know, you could see there'd be like a sort of narrowish strip of sky up above them, right? Um, and then as if through a gate of light, and that is a wonderful phrase, isn't it, Marianne? Um, as uh, on a gate of light, the road ran out again from the end of the tunnel into the open. Um, yeah, trees could be growing a roof over them, Tony. That is possible. Um, okay, so... I think that tunnel has to be at least somewhat metaphorical. Oh, that was Amy. Sorry, Marianne. Yeah. Uh, it's my one regret that the interface that I'm using, I can't easily scroll backwards. I only see your comments as they come in. Uh, so it's uh, it's challenging for me to go back and check. I just have to kind of remember. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, the trees could be covering over them, but apart from that, I don't think they're in a tunnel. Again, I think that that's a metaphor which is designed uh, to emphasize the fact that the whole gate of light thing, they were in the shadow and in the darkness and then they pass out into the light. Um, and... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely on the road, capital R, Darren, absolutely. This is the dwarf road that they've been following, well, or trying to avoid following. But anyway, that has gone uh, from Bree, right? The road that crossed the Greenway right at Bree. The road which, of course, goes right through the Shire, right? And on which dwarves still travel sometimes, um, which crosses the Brandywine Bridge. Um yeah, yeah. Um, ooh, hang on, Tony. I don't think he can be seeing the uh, Frodo can be seeing the light in front of him as a tunnel. It's really cool to think about about that being reversed, um, but I don't really think so. Instead, again, I, I think that the word tunnel is being used mostly metaphorically here, um, as we convey that you know as he's conveying this sense of. Not just closeness, right? Um, but also of darkness. That's really, I think, the most important thing here. Remember, the sun gets to afternoon, then they pass under the shadows of the trees, the shadows emphasized there, and then in between the walls. And maybe there are trees up above them more, too. Um, it is dark in where they are, right? Um, that and and that and that's clearly the emphasis with the gate of light right um all at once as if through a gate of light the road ran out again from the end of the tunnel into the open there at the bottom of a sharp incline they saw before them a long flat mile and beyond that the ford of rivendell um and yeah again somebody one of you was saying this a, a, a while back a mile that's um that's a fair it's a fair jog for an exhausted hobbit, right? Um, it's going to take the hobbits on foot a while to cross that much space, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Arden Cran, I agree. If it's afternoon, the sun is going down, the sun isn't directly overhead, um, it's going to be blocked from the side. It's going to be quite dark down there in that tunnel when they start hearing the echoes of what, or what sounds like echoes of their own feet, right? Um, so... I, I, yeah, yeah, I do think it's primarily about the, uh, about the, 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 the light. And 
interesting to me that the light is the thing that's emphasized here, right? Um, their approach to the Ford is a long, flat, open mile that is full of light, right? The conditions favor them, favor the good guys here as they come into the final stretch down to the Ford. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Ermabued, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's definitely narrow and steep walls that we're, we're having described here. It wouldn't be very echoey otherwise. Um, yeah, and I agree with you guys. It's going to be at least, you got to think, at least 20 minutes. Maybe if they manage to summon up enough energy to jog, it's going to be, um, it's going to be much more, you know, it can be a little uh, 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 quicker than that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> As Crystal Haywin says, or about three seconds in Lotro. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The whole scale problem. Yeah, good. Um, Yeah, Tony, now you're right that this is also a good place for an ambush. But, but, um, notice, I, I get that, that I think is one of the important things here. What they've just come out of is a good place for an ambush, right? You'd think if the Nazgul were going to ambush them, it would be here, in the cutting, right? Um, where they could be penned in very easily on either side and they're already in the shadows and darkness even in the middle of the day, right? Um, that would be, uh, this This would be the place. So in some ways, I think that we can see the fact that they make it to the Gate of Light justifies, you know, uh, would seem to justify Gorfindel's slave driving here, right? The the cruel taskmaster pace uh, that he has uh, that he has set them at because they, they've made it, right? They've made it through, they've made it into the open. Um, Asphaloth is at least going to be pretty hard to catch, Right on the long, flat, open mile, uh, because presumably, if it's a if it's a long, flat mile, um, he wouldn't even necessarily have to stay on the road. Where again, in the cutting, he'd be penned in. Uh, right here, uh, he'd uh, he'd be able to maneuver. Right, so uh, I think that would be good. Um, yeah, and Matt, I agree. It does. Doesn't it feel like this is this is it? Right. Um, there's another danger that awaits them. I mean, this, this, this looks like a terrible, terrible place, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And Evil Dr. Cannon, I agree. Great to meet you in Texas, Evil Dr. Cannon. Um, uh, yeah, Evil Dr. Cannon was explaining he got his name because his name is actually Dr. Cannon, uh, and uh, uh, his, uh, his students told him that it sounded like a comic book villain, Dr. Cannon. Uh, so he, he has, uses the screen name, the Evil Dr. Cannon. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Anyway, um, but, uh, but I agree. It, it proved that Glorfindel's heart uh, had pretty good senses, right? That he predicted others waiting at the Ford uh, and, not, uh, and not in the cutting. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, Aramabued, that's a really good question. Um, it does say a long, flat mile. Um, uh, and Aramabued is wondering uh, if it's referring to a rough estimation that the distance is a mile or longer, or that it's about a mile, or which looks a long way with the pressing dread of pursuit. I kind of suspect that it means it's probably, I mean, this is not a precise measure, right? Um, it may be a mile and a quarter. I, I suspect it's a little more than a mile 
actually. And I, I do think that that's what he means when he says a, a long mile, right? It's about a mile, probably a little more than a mile. Um, um, kind of reminds me uh, that uh, uh, American football commentators tend to use that same expression when the ball is like a yard and a half away from the first down. They'll say like third down and a long one. Have you heard them say that? Right. I think that's kind of the same thing that I say here. It's, it's, it's about a mile, right? Well, rounding up a little bit, right? It's a long mile, uh, to the Ford. Um, that is exactly, uh, how I would take that too. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, this is a, a substantial hike, uh, for the, uh, for the hobbits. Um, yeah, good. Now it's interesting. Johannes is thinking that maybe they don't ambush them in the uh, tunnel because they're trying to separate. Um, uh, they're they're trying to separate uh, Frodo from the rest of them, right? So if they if they were to ambush them at either end uh, of this cutting, then um, you know they. <laughs> They would they would be succeeding in penning the ring the, the ring bearer in with the elf lord and and the ranger right and uh, and even the other three little hobbits who may also have scary burning burning red flaming swords uh, which of course they do in fact um, so yeah it, it's um um I, I, that that you can see how this would be on the one hand a really great ambush spot but also perhaps. From the uh, once-burned-twice-shy Nazgul perspective here, perhaps not, in fact, the best ambush spot, right? Let's maybe get them into the open, where we can try to, uh, we can try to cut Frodo away from the herd uh, here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Darren, they are facing east here, looking at the mountains, so the sun would be setting behind them. Um, uh, though it seems like it's not too low down. Uh, I don't think it's sunset here um, based on the, I mean, the gate of light would be, I mean, if you're coming out of a, coming out of the eastward end, right, of a steep cutting that's like a tunnel um, and the sun were setting behind you, I don't think it would look like a gate of light in the same way, right? But anyway, um, and yes, Penlod, I agree. You wouldn't really want to see Gorfindel cornered. At least I, I can't b- believe that the Nazgul who withdraw at his approach would be very excited about that. Um, okay. All right. I love the description of the mountains. On the further side was a steep bank threaded by a winding path, and be- behind that the tall mountains climbed shoulder above shoulder and peak beyond peak into the fading sky. Um, yeah, Amy says, I think it's another reason why Gorfindel wanted to keep everyone together. Yeah, that does seem to me likely um, for defense. Absolutely. <laughs> Trifle says, the last time he got cornered, he took down a Balrog. So true, right? Uh, maybe they do know what happens if Gorfindel gets cornered, right? Maybe they've heard rumors about this. Um, yeah, anyway. Um I'm not sure what to say about the description of the mountains. It strikes me as important. But I'm not sure. It is beautiful. Iwin Dilly and I agree. Um, uh, 
the description of the mountains marching off into the, you know, uh, up there behind them. That well, one of the reasons that I think I'm kind of slightly fixating on it is that I can't help but remember that bit at the beginning of chapter three of The Hobbit, right, when Bilbo sees the Misty Mountains for the first time on his approach to Rivendell, and he asks, like, you know, is that the mountain, right? Um, And they're like, no, you know, that's uh, nothing like. Um, But, uh, yeah, Luke, I think that's a good way to think of it, sort of thinking in in conjunction with The Hobbit stuff. You know, Luke says they've come a long way. The mountains used to be on the edge of Hobbit stories, right, marching on the edge of Hobbit stories, and now they're right in front of them. Um, Yes, this sort of... uh, The mountains are, of course, another one of those legends, right, that that is coming to life here. And this would be fairly dramatic, especially if, as they're sort of descending down, um, they've been surrounded by trees and they come out of this tunnel, right? And there's the, 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 the open descent down to the fort and all of a sudden the mountains would be right there, right? I can't help but thinking, I can't help but think that this is also kind of a sense of... I don't know. Like there's something greater. I The fort has been their goal, right? They keep talking about the fort. Aragorn kept talking about the fort. Gorfindel's kept talking about the fort. Right? We may find that the fort is already held against us. If we ever hope to reach the fort of Bruin, right? They've been focused on the, it's all been all about the fort, right? Ever since they left Weathertop, essentially, right? And so now they get to the Ford, and they see, and look, there's the Ford, right? We get the description of the Ford, but the but the Ford itself gets like beyond the Ford are the mountains for crying out loud, right? The misty mountains, and I agree, uh, Luke. I do think that it's very important that what they're seeing is again a a, a a legend of the Shire come true, right? This the misty mountains from old Mister Bilbo's stories, uh, they're looming up in front of them. It's it's a really big deal, right? But again, the thing that I the 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 position here the fact that when they finally get to the long awaited ford the ford itself is dwarfed right it's not the ford that they're looking at it's the mountains on the far side of the ford and it gives me the sense um it gives me this the uh, the, the sense of having come to this thing on upon which all of their hopes were were placed and, and, you know, which has been their destination, they see behind that something much greater, much grander, you know, uh, this sense of the world that comes beyond that. Iwendillion, yeah, like a, a, an unknown world on the other side of that boundary. Yeah, something like that. It doesn't sound threatening, right? I don't think that this necessarily is meant to be intimidating, Right, like behind that is like the mountains looming down on them and looking terrifying. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think that they're that that's necessarily it. I, I would want to say sort of greater, right? Um, and yeah, DMA, since the ford is the boundary and crossing the ford has been associated with safety and reaching Rivendell um, all the way through, and of course to, by having just called it the ford of Rivendell. Um, just in the previous sentence, uh, he's uh, Tolkien would seem to be emphasizing that again. And Marianne, I agree. They're described. They're described majestically as being majestic, not threatening. Um, Dime says again, it's been 
safety. It's been the boundary, right? It's been, if you can cross the ford, then you'll be safe. Um, and um, so, therefore, the mountains on the far side would seem to me to be associated with that safety in some sense. I don't know if that's exactly, um, um, if that's exactly right. That's what I'm kind of playing with, though. That is it, I would think, I would think it would be an encouraging thought, the majesty of the mountains, really, right? Um, Because, of course, even the Nazgul themselves are going to, I mean, the mountains are bigger than the Nazgul, right? Um, uh, If what is on the other side of the ford is safety. If what is on the other side of the ford is, if, 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 if that's been associated with, uh, safety and healing and friends and, and, uh, 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 and all those things, um, then what they see actually on their side of the ford are the mountains, right? And that would seem to make, to sort of imaginatively, if not equate, associate, right, the mountains with, those allies that they are working to get towards, right? I don't know. I don't want to put too much pressure on it, but I think that's the general sense that that sentence was given to me here this time through. Hey, want to do something reckless and crazy? Let's do a third slide. You know, because we can. There was still an echo as of following feet in the cutting behind them. A rushing noise, as if wind were rising and pouring through the branches of the pines. One moment Glorfindel turned and listened. Then he sprang forward with a loud cry. Fly! he called. Fly! The enemy is upon us! The white horse leaped forward. The hobbits ran down the slope. Glorfindel and Strider followed as rearguard. They were only halfway across the flat, when suddenly there was a noise of horses galloping. Out of the gate in the trees they had just left rode a black rider. He reined his horse in and halted, swaying in his saddle. Another followed him, and then another, and then again two more. "'Ride forward! Ride!' cried Glorfindel to Frodo. He did not obey at once, for a strange reluctance seized him. Checking the horse to a walk, he turned and looked back. The riders seemed to sit upon their great steeds like threatening statues upon a hill, dark and solid, while all the woods and land about them receded as if into a mist.' Suddenly he knew in his heart that they were silently commanding him to wait. Then at once fear and hatred awoke in him. His hand left the bridle and gripped the hilt of his sword, and with a red flash he drew it. Okay. Um, Carita, I agree. Uh, Gorfindel tells them to fly, so the only possible explanation is that hobbits have wings. I think we've just proved it, right? That's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good. Um, so, by the way, clearly a tunnel of trees, right? Um, clearly a tunnel of trees. Uh, whether the trees are at the top of the cutting or, or not, it's not clear. But again, I think it's pretty f- fairly clear that tunnel is is uh, is metaphorical. Um, yeah. So. I love the description of the echoing feet. There was still an echo as of following feet in the cutting behind them, a rushing noise as if a wind were rising and pouring through the branches of the pines. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, Arden Crayon, Frodo's sword isn't broken yet. It didn't break at Weathertop. He dropped it, but it didn't break. Um, it's it's about to, but it didn't yet. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one moment, Gorfindel turned and listened, then he sprang forward with a loud cry. Um... I love that description of this, as if the wind were rising and pouring through the branches of the pines. Remember what the pines were associated with before? Darkness, shadow, that tunnel of darkness out of which they emerged, right? And now it's as if the shadow underneath the pines is itself racing through and whistling through the branches of the pines uh, in pursuit of them. I love that. Um... I love that sense of like the shadow itself is now uh, is now coming like a wind after you down the tunnel. The enemy is upon us, and the white horse leaps forward. Um, everybody runs. Glorfindel and Strider riding, er, uh, following behind as rear guard, right as the hobbits are running down the slope. Um, they were only halfway across the flat. Halfway across the flat. So they're halfway across the long mile. Huh. I barely even noticed that phrase ever before. When suddenly there was a noise of horses galloping. They finally hear it. Right? They finally hear uh, the actual Black Riders horses. Right? And then out of the gate in the trees, they had just left, rode a Black Rider. So uh, the Black Rider, presumably the Witch King, right, comes out of the tunnel of trees when they are already more than halfway across the flat. So they have uh, run over, you know, a good uh, a good half mile, right, at least a half mile towards the ford. Um, yeah. Um, Aramabwet, it is interesting, isn't it, that Glorfindel sprang forward with a loud cry? Um but then holds back his rear guard, right? He's not actually leading the way. He's letting the horse lead the way. Um, yeah, Ambrosius Aurelianus, that rushing sound is not the sound of hoofbeats, right? Because when they hear that, they describe that as that they hear the sound of a galloping horse, right? It's just the wind, right? Um, but it's not just the wind, I think, clearly. Um, uh that seems to be a wind, right? Oh, interesting. Matt suspects that the they halfway across the flat is Frodo and Asphaloth. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the immediate antecedent is the Hobbits and Gorfindel and Strider. But maybe. Um, hmm... Yeah, see, Luke, I'm thinking of the Black Breath, too. Not that that's, like, you know, one huge, massive gust of Black Breath, and the Black Breath doesn't exactly... It's not the same as the Gust of Wind spell, but I agree with you. That association with, again, the shadow under the trees and the and the wind, right, it, it, it um, certainly makes me think of the Black Breath uh, as well. Um, now, Tirithorn, I agree that Frodo doesn't ride with speed until the next slide. You know what I'm thinking, guys? <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> you know... You guys know what I'm thinking here. 
we need to reenact this, obviously, right? We need to reenact this. But for this, we're gonna need <laughs> we're gonna need a horse trifle, absolutely, uh, and we're gonna need. Uh, uh, is there going to be some aerobic activity involved in this reenactment, right? Tim Dalf, this does kind of sound like a myth mood activity, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, well, I think, I think we'll have to try this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. There's a lot of space at Mythmoot. I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can figure it out. Yeah, belongs bond. You're right. We'll have to sign waivers. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um, yeah. Oh, good. Tirithorn, you're right. We'll have to make sure the participants are tired from multiple days of forced marches first, just in order to get it uh, maximally verisimilitudinous, right? I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Um, yeah, hmm, okay. Let's see. Um, yeah, Arden Crayon says it sounds like an algebra test, right? Uh, you know, if... Uh, uh, if Frodo and Asphaloth are going, you know, 10 miles an hour and uh, the Nazgul are pursuing at, uh, you know, 20 miles an hour. And um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> It'll be more fun to reenact it, but we'll see. Um, so Matt's suggesting that he, he thinks it's definitely Frodo's point of view. The halfway out is definitely Frodo's point of view um, because um, we um, let's see. Because he's saying that Frodo is checking uh, uh, Asphaloth's speed, right? And uh, he can't imagine Frodo being able to get away with that while Glorfindel was near. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, hang on. Glorfindel is still in shouting distance, though. Theory. A theory. My theory is... Said Glorfindel springs forward with a loud cry. The white for the white horse leaped forward. Okay, that's a sentence that's kind of hard uh, to deal with in some ways here. Theory: If Frodo and Asphaloth are still basically staying with the family, right? So I'm imagining Asphaloth is not galloping yet, right? Asphaloth has been walking clearly, right? Because the hobbits are keeping up, right? So Asphaloth has been walking and probably not fast. And he's in front. I think he's clearly in front. Right? That's definitely where Gorfindel would have Asphaloth in this procession, right? So that no hobbits are trampled uh, if he has to, you know, cry out Norolim, right? Um, so Asphaloth is in front, but he's walking, and he's walking slowly. Um, so he would speed up from a walk to a trot. Hey, horse people, help me with this. Uh, how? F- what? What kind of horse pace would be roughly equivalent to a sprinting hobbit? If the hobbit is sprinting, how fast would a horse be going? Trotting? Right? Would he leap forward from a walk into a trot? Does that make a lick of sense? I I, I speak of that, which I I don't know. A canter? Could hobbits canter? I mean, you know, could they sprint and keep up vaguely with a canter? Uh, He would have to be... 
he would have to be, um, uh, I mean, he, he wouldn't have to be like right with them. Right. But he'd have to be still within easy calling distance. Right. Of them. Um, a slow canter or something like that. Yeah. I'm think cause he's not really going to put on the jets until later on. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, People like to cannon know. No, I'm not referring to centaurs uh, when I say horse people. I just mean equestrians, right? Uh, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. I also, I don't think that Frodo... So here, here's another reason I don't think that Asphaloth is galloping yet. Because I don't think that Frodo has the gumption uh, to rein him in. Right? I mean, so... Uh, yeah, he reined the horse in and halted, swaying in his saddle, right? I think if Asphaloth is galloping at this point, I don't think there's a thing that Frodo could do about that. I don't think that Frodo is pulling him up to a halt from a gallop, right? Um, I think he has to be going... Uh, I think he has to be going slower than that, right? Um, yeah. Um... Yeah. Um, so let's go with uh, cantering for now, right? Um, Trifle says if the horse is still obeying its rider, you don't need strength. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, Mike, it's a good way of thinking of it. Mike says, uh, uh, so far, Asphaloth is listening to his rider, default instructions from his master, new instructions to follow on the next slide. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Okay, Darren is, is suggesting uh, uh, it would a uh, horse would trot at about 8 miles an hour and canter at 10 to 17 miles an hour. So a slow canter would still be something that... I mean, it's, it's pretty fast, but... Uh, but it's not, um, it's still sprintable, right? Still sprintable. Um, and it would still seem like leaping forward, right? It was, I mean, if you were doing a slow walk and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Glorfindel says, fly, the enemy is upon us. And Asphaloth takes off into a canter. That's, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mad Violinist points out that that pace, the slow canter pace, would be about the pace for a six-minute mile, which is very respectable for a human's, right? So presumably they couldn't keep up that pace the whole way, probably, uh, at the end of their rope as they are. Uh, but still, still. Um, okay, yeah. Which makes it heroic for a hobbit. I agree. I agree. Um yeah. Yeah. But again, yeah, they're, they're, uh, first of all, the, don't forget, they're not only terrified that the Nazgul are following them, they're also running downhill. Right? Don't forget, this, the hill is steep, right? So they're, they're running down the hill and then out onto the flat. Uh, so I bet that terrified hobbits could probably do a pretty nifty clip uh, down the hill, uh, right? And then out into the flat for the first half mile, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Definitely some adrenaline going on here. I think that's, I think that's clear. Um, 
But uh, anyway, um, I still would. I still don't think if Asphaloth is galloping, especially galloping at the pace that Asphaloth is clearly capable of galloping. Um, I, you know, which is clearly substantially more than your average horse. Um, I don't think that they would be in easy calling distance at that point, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Hobbits are natural sprinters, Tony. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Frodo stops Asphaloth. Well, let's look at the riders first. They were halfway across the flat when suddenly there was a noise of horses galloping. Out of the gate in the trees rode a black rider. He reined his horse in and halted, swaying in his saddle. So he stops. Why is he swaying, do you think? I have never been sure of this. Um, is he sniffing? Um, is he trying to keep his balance? This is the Black Rider now. This is the Witch King who's swaying. Right? Or is it Frodo? No, it's the Rider. It's not Frodo. Out of the gate in the trees. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's in the next paragraph that Frodo is stopping the horse. Right? Yeah, see, I'm getting confused here now, too. No. He, Frodo, did not obey at once. Checking the horse to a walk, right, still moving, Asphaloth is, he turned and looked back. Okay. Right. So it's clearly the black rider that is reining in his horse and swaying. Okay. Okay. And, uh... And yes, you guys are getting ahead of me again. Yeah, the red flash. It's cool. Yes, I agree with you. But hang on, wait. We're, we gotta f- solve the swaying problem. Um, I, timer, it could be a momentum thing, right? Um, you know, I, but I, I kind of doubt it. Swaying suggests to me side-to-side motion, not like the kind of forwards and backwards motion that you might expect, you know, if you're just reining your horse in, right? Um, yeah, Iwan Dillian and, and Tim Dolph, I, I tend to think the, the sniffing seems... <laughs> Corey Swaps is just because he's creepy. It is really creepy, right? I'm standing there and being like, I imagine this, like, you know, he's doing this little <laughs> this little dancey motion here, right? Um, the swaying this way and that, Darren, is what I was remembering, too, as they're searching the ground, Right. Um, so is he looking at the guy? Is he sniffing? Is he somehow sensing? Is he is he what? I don't know, like looking for like elf lord residue or 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 is that does the wound like, I, you know, that did Frodo uh, nearly wraithified Frodo leave some kind of traces? I don't know. Um, Mad Violinist is suggesting that if he does too much sniffing here, he will think it smells like elves, uh, which could very well be true from a distance. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, um, uh, given the associations we've had with the swaying of the Black Riders before, whether it be the sniffing or the swaying, uh, uh, searching the ground here, I think that this is the Witch King getting, um, 
his bearings. Remember what we learned about Frodo in the daylight, right? And this is where the uh, the gate of light comes in relevant again, right? They're just out in the open under the sunlight. In other words, the ringwraiths can't see them at all, right? So, I mean, remember, like disadvantage and i think even disadvantage here on and on this distance I, I you know so this is a this is a spot check at disadvantage at a pretty high challenge rating so yeah they can't um uh they can't see much at all right um so uh yeah trying to matt trying to figure out where his prey is i think is exactly what we're seeing here um this is uh this is a big deal um and yeah, Kimber says, non-specific alien imagery of a wraith sensing in a way that we don't. I think that's a great summary here. Sniffing, searching the, you know, we see rangers, uh, you know, ranger strider searching the ground, right? We see uh, uh, the, 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 the black rider sniffing before. This, they're sensing in some, as you say, alien way, I think is, uh, is definitely... Uh, uh, using Wraithdar, uh, uh, Penloth, yeah, sure. I can, I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Wraith tracking, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, um, I think something like that. So we see them doing what essentially somehow sensing or perceiving them, um, and then the other five come in. So there's all five. These are presumably the five that were at the Dell under Weathertop, right? Um, Glorfindel calls out, ride, ride, as soon as they come out. The Black Riders come out, right? So it is specifically when Glorfindel says, ride forward, ride, that Frodo reins in the horse, right? Um, I'm not saying that he's, um, I'm not saying that he's being deliberately contrary, right? But it is, I think, significant that as soon as he is told uh, to gallop on, right, we, you know, it is emphasized that he doesn't, in fact, gallop on, right? That he does not obey at once. A strange reluctance seized him, right? Um, uh, and yes, I agree. Ride is directed at Frodo, right? He's going to direct his uh, suggestions to the horse soon. Um, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, yeah, he's uh, uh, his, a strange reluctance to ride on sees him. A strange reluctance to obey Gorfindel? Right? I wonder. Um, uh, if that may be the case, right? But anyway, um, so he checks the horse to a walk and turns and looks back. So the horse doesn't turn, right? Asphaloth doesn't turn around. Asphaloth is walking. Frodo turns around on the walking horse, right? And looks back behind him. The riders uh, seem to sit upon their great steeds like threatening statues upon a hill, dark and solid, while all the woods and land about them receded as if into a mist. Frodo in his state looks back and there's only one thing uh, that he can see clearly. Um, yeah. You know, Julie, that is really interesting. Julie is suggesting... Uh, good to see you. I don't think I've seen you on uh, on uh, Twitter here before, Julie. Um, Julie is suggesting that 
what the Nazgul are perceiving, they're, they're going to be aware of Gorfindel, right? You've got to think the Witch King is up there thinking, okay, Elf Lord is between me and him, right? So what does he do? What does the Witch King do? Um, he starts sending out his telepathic commands to Frodo, right? Um, he's not going to, you know, ride roughshod over the Elf Lord to get there merely, right? He's going to uh, try to get Frodo to come to him. And we can see um, we do have Asphaloth slowing down to a walk is the result of these kind of conflicting orders, right? Glorfindel, ride forward, ride. The Witch King, stop, right? Um, uh, and yeah, Irma Bwet, I agree that dark, solid statues against the mist is a fascinating description. I think statues is meant to convey the comparative solidity of them. Remember, everything he's been looking at, right? Everything Frodo's been seeing is all vague and cloudy and pale and misty, right? Um, and then he looks back at the riders, and there they are, right? They are clear. They are. They look like they're made of stone compared with what he's been looking at, right? Everything else uh, uh, receding as if into a mist, right? Um, they and they only uh, come into focus upon a hill dark and solid while all the woods and land about them receded, right? Exactly. Solid shows how much he is in their world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Julie is thinking uh, uh, it's almost echoes of the Barrow Downs as well. Uh, the, the stones in the mist, right? Um, yeah, mist. Uh, Julie, I wasn't thinking of the Barrow Downs, but of course I should be. Right? Remember the darkness and the mist closing in around the hobbits there and how they were uh, brought and guided, how the will of the Barrow Whites sort of enfolded them and brought them into just the place where they weren't supposed to be, right? Uh, over on the eastern side of the Barrows and then taken by the Barrow Whites. Um, so yeah, we can see a kind of repetition uh, of this, right? Um, yeah, good. Um, Johannes, they were described, I think, as statues in Crick Hollow too. That sounds familiar, but I think that was because they were just standing super still, right? That was just that was just a reflection of them not moving, uh, standing there in we are creeping out the neighborhood uh, mode while they waited until the darkness before the dawn, uh, in their uh, sort of stealthy but extremely low speed infiltration of the house at Crick Hollow. Um, yeah, it does. It is possible that they're being unnaturally still here too, using the same intimidation tactics. Darren, I agree with that. Um, it does seem to be part in that way. Mad violinist, I agree of their spiritual warfare that that seems to work, and the silent command that they're given seems to be sort of in conjunction with that. Right, it's part of the intimidation tactics uh, that they are uh, that they're doing here. Um, then, so he knows in his heart. And I'm sorry, I forgot. This is one of the problems when the conversations keep going on uh, for as long as we have here. I, somebody mentioned this like a while back, and I don't remember who, um, that we get the repetition, right? Just as Gorfindel, uh, you know, feels in his heart that the pursuit is now close upon them. Here, um, Frodo knows in his heart that they are silently commanding him to wait, 
right? Um, this is not about foreboding, but again, this is about um, his own like spiritual receptor, right? Is telling him clearly what is uh, what's going on here. Um, he is being silently commanded to wait, and his reaction is fear and hatred. Um, Ermabued, yes, a different kind of fear. Presumably, he was already afraid, right? This is not like, oh, shoot, now I'm terrified. I used to, I was fine before. Um, but I agree um, uh, that um, this is a different kind of fear, right? So, what kind of fear exactly, right? Uh, before, he was presumably like afraid of getting caught right? Afraid of getting captured. Now he's afraid of something else. Yes, fourth Dauntless, realizing you're not in control of your own actions is kind of terrifying, right? He's afraid not of them as an external enemy. He's afraid of what is inside of him, right? He's afraid of being dominated and controlled. That seems to be what's terrifying. And hatred is awaking in him right then. You are trying to control me. Remember also the way that he chided himself for weakness of will after Weathertop, right? He knew, in retrospect, he knew that the command to put on the ring was coming from his enemy, that he was obeying the commanding will of his enemy in putting on the ring. And he recognizes now, with that experience, the same kind of command that is commanding him to wait, to stop, right? Um, and now recognizing that he's afraid because he knows he's succumbed to this before, and I'm sure that he can feel himself weaker than he was at Weathertop as well, right? But hatred comes up as well, and he reacts like he reacted in Weathertop. And remember when we were talking about that? Remember we, we did talk about the attack on Weathertop, didn't we? I'm pretty sure we covered that. Um, uh, the drawing of his sword in the Dell under Weathertop was clearly a good sign, right? That's, 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 that's very clearly, uh, better recap just to make sure, <laughs> JJ, ha ha. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, that was clearly a good thing, right? Um, when, uh, when, when Frodo did that, um, here it's clearly a good thing too. He is defying the will of the Witch King. It's good. It's good that he has that much, you know, gumption still left, Right? His hand left the bridle, and it gripped the hilt of his sword, and with a red flash he drew it. Now we can talk about the red flash. And yes, I agree with what, um, with what most of you guys were saying before. Two things. First of all, we've seen his sword growing, growing, glowing red before. Getting my liquids all mixed up. Um, but that was when he was wearing the ring, right? Uh, and he was in the Wraith world. The fact that it's... Uh, that it's flashing red as he draws it, um, suggests that he can now see that with his waking eyes, right? That he himself can see, uh, at least in a brief flash, the red, the, the, that red power of his sword that was visible when he was wearing the ring before. Um, well, Matt, when I say weaker, I only mean his, like, hold on, you know, the world of, of light and, uh, uh, and, and, and forms is, um, is weaker, right? Um, there is a sense in which he might be stronger, um, 
Matt is suggesting, you know, the fact that he resists here, that he notices the Witch King's efforts, is a sign that he's stronger and more experienced than he was. Yeah, definitely more experienced, right? He now... um, I think that Frodo's reaction here, that, that fear and hatred that he's having, is a kind of, you know, fool me once, shame on you, or, you know, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing, right? Um, he, 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 this is being done to him again. He regrets how he reacted or didn't react last time, and he's not going to have it again. Um, evil Dr. Cannon, I think that Frodo is the one who sees it flashing red. Um, we don't, I mean, we're just told that with a, he drew it with a red flash, but I think that's presumably his own, uh, uh, his own um, uh, point of view there. Uh, Merlinus, yeah, um, it, that mention of, you know, his, his, his hatred awakening and then the red flash of his sword. Um, you know, he drew his sword in anger. And is the sword responding to that in some sense? Maybe. I mean, I would think that that kind of thing, uh, being uh, afraid of the domination of the Witch King and hating the Witch King for attempting to exert that control over you and drawing the weapon in anger, I would think that, like, the weapon forged by the Dúnedain uh, to fight against Angmar would be totally into that whole sequence, right? I think it would respond uh, very effectively to that. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Mad Violinist thinks it might just be the inlay. Nah. <laughs> it could be. But again, it seems to be not a coincidence. I mean, you know, Mad Violinist, you could say it kind of goes the other way around, too. Right. Um, yeah, it, it had a red inlay, but that seemed to me perhaps something to do with why it, it glowed red. You know, that the inlay seemed to be perhaps uh, maybe, you know, had something to do with the power with which it was invested by its uh, uh, by its smith when it was made um, in Arnor. Um, but anyway, that Frodo would be able to perceive the power of the sword, which was clearly perceptible before when he was completely in the Wraith world um, wearing the ring. Um, uh, and anyway, it, it certainly stands to reason that he would be able to see something here given how, uh, uh, given how close uh, he is to the edge here. Um, yeah. Good. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Mad Violinist points out that Mary won't see that in Book 5. Yeah. It's also a lot darker when Mary draws his sword in Book 5. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um... Andural glows red in the daytime too. Yeah, but Andural's a more upgrade. That's uh that's different. Um Okay. How many more slides are we from the end of the chapter, Trifle? Six! Yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. Not not tonight. It's not gonna happen here tonight. Um Oh, and I, there were a couple comments. Uh, somebody was asking uh, in the town, I think, about the bridle. Of course, that's just, it's, yeah, he's got a bridle. Uh, Asphaloth has a bridle. Glorfindel has both a saddle and a bridle, right? A saddle, fortunately, for Frodo. Um, but um, but not um, uh, uh, not a bit. And this is just a total, this is totally a retconning thing. Um Asphaloth is clearly described wearing a saddle and a bridle because Tolkien hadn't thought of the whole elf's fashion of riding yet. Um, and, uh, and there's no reason to think that, uh, 
sometimes elves would not choose to ride with stuff, right? That they could put bells on and stuff. Come on, you know that he's Glorfindel's a Noldo. He would want to make uh, the horse look pretty, right? So, uh, um, anyway, besides which, he also knows he's going after Frodo, and it is quite possible that um, uh, it is quite possible that uh, Glorfindel's plan all along, right? Uh, that let's put Frodo on the back of my horse was might have been plan A if he had met with him on the road, right? Yeah, exactly. Marianne was just suggesting the same thing. Um, but, but James, exactly. You've also got to think about the bling, right? Um, uh, and and I, I, I'm sure that's got to be that's got to be part of it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to worry about Andoral yet. We're still quite a ways away from Andoral. Um, yeah, I think we're good. Tune in next week when uh, the uh, next uh, uh, to the next stage. I know it's hard to stop here, Tim, isn't it? I totally get that, um, but um, nevertheless, <laughs> we should we should stop here. We're not going to make it to the end of the chapter, no matter what we do. Uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, yeah. And you're right, Curry, to pimp my ride, Elvish edition. That's t- I mean, come on, that's totally what the Noldor would be about, wouldn't it? Wouldn't they? All right. Um, so we're going to stop here. Uh, we're going to go on our field trip now. Thanks everybody for joining us. We will, uh, uh, we will have our ride to the for- So I'm thinking we'll have the, we'll have the sprint to the Ford. And like the beginning of the confrontation between Frodo and the Witch King at the Ford, and then uh, we'll and then we'll do um, uh, we'll do the uh, the last bit. So yeah, two more weeks, no problem, no problem. Sorry, I'm laughing at Tony, saying it's a good thing that Aragorn didn't draw the broken half of Nar- of Narsor, or the Nazgul would really have been in trouble. Here's Tony worrying again about Aragorn not having a primary weapon. Ah, well. All right. So I'm going to say goodnight to everybody on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. As usual, you guys were great. Julie, great to see you there tonight uh, on Twitter. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, as well as Luke and Arden Crayon, some of our... our, our, uh, our, our uh, uh, trusty standbys there. Uh, So thanks, everybody. Uh, Come over to twitch.tv slash SignumU. See ya! Okay, good evening. All right. (laughs) Yes, there was. There was. Text mood is a phenomenon. Okay. Hey, wait a second. How is this Narnian? Okay, I was going to say he's not. All right. I was going to say this Narnian looked like he was traded, but he's not traded. Okay. That's fine. I just have more buttons than I was expecting. All right. So we're going back to the troll shaws. We're going to go to the Ford uh, and across the Ford. And it won't take us all that long to go across the Ford. But um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so good night to folks who are not going with us, and to those of you who are, let us ride the Ford of Bruin in, because as usual with the Trollshaws, we don't have any shortcuts. 
Once we get to Rivendell, this will be so much easier. Yes, for a time. No, I no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, they reset. Well, that's what I thought. That's why I was surprised when I because I, I just like Narnian's uh, uh, quick bars like all full up, whereas on his uh, the other server, like most of it was empty because he got detraded, you know. But um, anyway. All right, so I am gonna. I'm heading. I'm going by way of the prancing pony. Not only because I enjoy going by way of the prancing pony, but also I find it easier with the lag. To uh, yeah. Here we go. Oh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. So sorry, Valoria, they can't hear you yet. I gotta change my sound settings here. Hang on, hang on. We'll get there. No, no, it's not you. Oh yeah, I see the problem. Thanks for pointing that out, guys. Okay, there we go. So you can say something, Valori. Oh, uh, all right. Uh, good evening uh, once okay. again. We've got you there. Sorry, okay, very good. All right. Thank you, Gravity and Druid's Fire. Appreciate that. Very, very much appreciated. Yeah. So look at that. See, I forgot two things here tonight. Uh, it's mm. just still a relatively good percentage of all the things I'm supposed to remember, but nevertheless. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm already there, so I'll see you when you get here. Okay, yeah, sorry. I stopped in the middle of the road to change, my, to adjust my settings. Okay. I was no, going to remember I, I but just this stuff and smell hedge. the roses trade on so I don't outstrip everybody on horse. Ah, uh, right. So it's mentioned you're talking about like, you know, the fort seems to be like this miraculous place. Everything will be fixed when we get to the fort. Everything will be great once we're over the fort, that sort of thing. It mm -hmm. always reminds me of the legend of Sleepy Hollow where, he, you know, he keeps going and said he has to aim for the bridge, aim for the bridge, and the spirit has to, spirit will go away. Go aim for the bridge, and the spirit right. can't follow him. You know right. those myths about crossing water to right. shake Absolutely. off things. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's a, um, it's a it's a very prominent um, legend. Mm -hmm. Yep. Dracula. Dracula. They always had that too, where Dracula couldn't cross. Exactly. Yeah, I can't cross, uh, or can only cross um, when he's water. carried over, right? Or at the at the 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 change noon, of the tide right? as well. Yeah, change of the tide. That's what it was. Yeah, the change of the tide, noon and midnight. Yeah, yeah, it's all those transitional times. That's when Dracula uh, is able to to do stuff. Sunrise, now, is sunset, that Transylvania noon. time, or is it is it moving with the time zones? It's local the, time, uh, yeah. Local, local time. time, so it's, clearly it's local direct time. midday sun over and stuff. Yeah, direct midday sun, um, and uh, and same thing with the change of the tide, right? <laughs> um, it's uh, it's at the local waters. Yeah, liminal time, Tony. Other... Exactly. 
that's the other thing I keep thinking when Frodo's sitting there, you know, being exhausted and waiting for the chain changes in light, changes in everything. It always reminds me of Mina Harker when she was getting close to sunrise and sunset. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, the uh, I've been remembering. I think a couple others. I think Tony referred to it before too. Um, yes, uh, the description of Frodo in this section of the Fellowship of the Ring reminds me a lot of 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 Mina Harker um, as she is uncomfortably transitioning uh, into vampirish state. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Tolkien is clearly not just, like, following that model. It doesn't work anything like the same, uh, exactly. But uh, that sense of transition, and more importantly, that sense of discomfort as you're looking on, right? And uh, mm-hmm. seeing these things happening and kind of knowing what it means and not being able to do anything about it, um, you know, is, uh, makes me, th- that's the the part that makes me think of, uh, of, of that particularly, of course, the way that, uh, the, um, story is, is narrated by Van Helsing at that point. Um, yes. and, uh, so again, we're having him watching and knowing exactly what it means and not wanting to admit that it's happening and, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, uh. Uh, well, yeah, all our companions, yeah, are trying to keep everyone's spirits up. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it did, does strike me, that sort of thing, you know, and then the whole <laughs> muttered whispers in Elvering, Elvish. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, oh, yes, oh, we are on Gladden here tonight. Yes, Gladden server. I'm on as Jonathan tonight. Cool. Jonathan with a D. And, uh, yeah, uh, Tim, uh, you're right. I think that the, uh, the hydrophobia does have something to do with Christian baptism. Well, it certainly does in Dracula. Uh, I have okay. no questions about that. Um, but, um, but yes, I do think that it has, it has, re- it has some, some resonance with, uh, uh, with baptism. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That and rabies with bats, you know? <laughs> yeah, Sure. Sure. I mean, probably a coincidence, but still kind of funny when you think about it. Yeah, so Tony Gorfindel is uh, uh, kind of like uh, Van Helsing there. Not very much. Uh, Gorfindel is much more... uh... Uh, Aragorn's more of a Van Helsing than Gorfindel. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Using his knowledge of herbs and local legend to do everything yeah. he can. Yeah, there's really no uh, Glorfindel parallel in Dracula, I think, certainly. No, Glorfindel's definitely more of an angel just sort of showing up and helping everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely more like that. Okay. All right, I want to be looking for... I want to be look. We're getting closer now to... Mm-hmm. The relevant landscape. We're still in the. Oh, we want to see the cutaway, huh? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's yeah. The, the well, cut, the, the moist cutting. part. Yeah, that moist part got my attention too. It reminds me of just red earth clay that's still connected to underground, uh, underground water. Right. Right. Because yeah, those will leak. Right. Those will leak when they're saturated. Get a lot of those in Virginia where they're cutting through the mountains to make roads. Right. Right. Okay. This still looks like erosion over here. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they that in Lotro they depict things. So here is one example of you know one of the and this is not the cutting leading to the ford, but this is the one of the kinds of you know we 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 get the description of there being the steep banks. This is more like the place where Gorfindel overtook them, right? And there are the steep banks that they're trying to scramble up, right, to get out of the way. That seems to me more like what we're getting here. Not that these these aren't scramble upable by hobbits, but um, or by us. Yeah, exactly. But then I think, of course, it's uh, instead of the two days march, it's only a very short uh, time here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love the autumnal landscape, Tim, here in the Trollshaws. Yeah. Okay, now notice the change to pine woods. Uh-huh. Right, there's the pines up on top of the on the top of the cliffs. So I think that I think that this is the cutting. Now it doesn't feel very tunnel like. They haven't made it very close. No. Um I don't know whether an actual like if it were more tunnel like if it would do weird things with the camera angle or something. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It'd be too hard to get an angle with the gyroscopic candle. Yeah. Can- camera. Yeah. Because can't talk today. Isn't? Am I not right to think that it's right after this that we get um, the descent? Right, because from here it's just going to descend straight down to the ford, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the thing that I miss here, we don't get anything that's like a gate. Unless we're still too early for it. Hmm. I don't think so. Let's ride down. Yeah, so Tim, there are no seasons in Lotro. Like, the trees don't change. Um, the the graphics on the landscape is static in that way. Um, but yeah, they, they do match it to the story. So since, uh, since the hobbits pass through this place in fall, then they make it fall here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of like that, actually. It gives yeah, you sort of a footing on what's going on and when and why. Okay. Yeah, this is not very open yet. We're going to get to... We're going to come out into the open. Here is the ford here. Yeah, so, the columns of trees. Yeah, so we've got the trees here. So I suppose this is the spot that would be the equivalent. It's still not very gate-like. We are getting right between the trees, but again, it's fairly broad, the road here. Mm-hmm. And then we come out, and, and it's uh, a good deal. Less than a mile, of course, but again, proportions are hard. It yeah. couldn't really feel like a mile, because if it felt like a mile, it would be the same as the distance from, you know, to kind of go back out. Right? Yeah. I mean, it would be like the distance from... Uh, you know, from like Woodhull to the Brandywine, you know, if it really felt yeah. like a mile. So, um, yeah, can you imagine like even dim if it was proportional in size? Oh my goodness, yeah. No, I mean it's it's the scale. What what is the scale exactly? I, I forget the actual ratio. Is there there's I don't some kind numbers. of rough ratio? Isn't there? Hmm. I forget. I, I seem to remember somebody calculating this before, but I can't. Yeah, if anyone remembers it, feel free to post it. Yeah. I do not remember numbers. Yeah. 
he knew there. But anyway, here's the other thing that I want to look at. I want to go back up. Hang on. I'm going to go back up to the gate up here, gate-ish, right when the trees open up. Okay. Right when the trees open up, and then we have the mountains. Oh, it's the mountains I'm wanting to look up at here on the other side of the ford. And we can already see the winding path from here that's described, right? The winding, the, the path you can tell that it goes up and turns and winds, right? Uh -huh. um, and, uh, yeah, now we don't get necessarily, we don't see the mountains receding into the distance here. We're really only seeing the one sort of shelving mountain, and then we can see them a little bit further down. But we're not really yeah. seeing, like, you know, the snow-capped peaks in the background from this perspective oh, no. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Tim, the, the scale, it's, it's got to be pretty... Because the fact is, in gaming terms, it's really a pretty big world. Um, I mean, when you set off on... If you set off on horseback from... Um, you know, the Blue Mountains and just ride all the way across the Shire and Bree and over the, you know, over through the mountains and come out the other side of Moria and then ride all the way. It's, it's, <laughs> it takes hours to do that. Yeah. Um, it'd take your whole day. So it, it's, it's, you know, obviously you can't make it realistic such that it actually takes months, you know, to, tra to travel this, the, these distances. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to play that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super realistic geography would be... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a super fan, but I have limits. And exactly, exactly. So uh, having it take, um, you know, as I say, like a couple of hours to ride all the way across is a sufficient, uh, you know, sort of uh, nod to the fact that the distances are very great. Um, and, and just how much of world they've put in here. Right, right. Um, yeah, but it's, it's um, exactly, exactly. And the fact is that um, it does make it difficult, though. The, the problem is, I mean, it, one can certainly appreciate the scale um, on a grand scale, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're, when you're thinking of big distances, one appreciates the small scale when you're you know, trying to ride from the Shire to Rivendell, for instance. But when you're wanting to look at small parts of the of the topography, right, like the long uh -huh. flat mile from the, uh, you know, from the hill down to the ford, one kind of misses it at that Yeah, point. it's like, at that point, it's like, I'll just go to New Zealand at this point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right, exactly. I'd rather actually be there than look at a computer screen for as long as it would take me. Right, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go up and see what we can see around here. Reminds me of a guy's feed I follow who does medieval pilgrimages on foot. Right. And he's English, of course, so, you know, it's not like he's yeah. going across Europe or anything. But Right. Yeah. I just want to look up here. My question now is, are there any ruins on this side of the river? No, we saw Delisade down on the on this side of the yeah, river. Yeah, we did. We did see Delisade, yeah. Is there, are there any other ruins or evidence about? 
I'm not seeing any up here. Can no. We go, can we go up looks, this way? Looks pretty desolate. Yeah, so I'm look I'm scanning around at like the crags and things where we would expect to see Arnorian ruins if there were Arnorian ruins to be had. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing any. Okay, and now we're That's regaining this. It's almost the... like everything was sort of carefully erased from everything. <laughs> right. Nothing down this way, is there? Um, I, I used know. to get so lost. Well, still do on a bad day. <laughs> Sorry, I'm now like deliberately you... riding off in the wilderness to look for ruins. See, I still look for wildcats after your chicken incident. Oh, man, forget about It's like, I'm a level that. 50. I do not need to be afraid of being one-shot about, by a wildcat. Right, I just cannot releases, shake that. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, look. It's like a little pass. I found a secret valley. A lot of enemies okay. down here. Yeah, there's not really Hidden valley. Here. The ranch dressing. Something like that. Isn't there a valley, yeah, with worms that's down in this way? Isn't there, uh, isn't there something? Up? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of things that will kick your butt around here. Or one's butt, not necessarily yours. Right. <laughs> this is, wait, Deathman, there are ruins on the side of the hill? Hang on, we can't miss the ruins on the side of the hill if there are ruins on, on the on the top of the hill. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can't get to it. Try it. I agree that getting lost is the point. Huh, I don't know that I've ever yeah, been Yeah, it's here a pretty before. good defense when the it, it, it defends itself at this point. Yeah. All you need is a really terrible We've sense come of all direction. The way back down. Yeah, look at this. Here we are, all the way back down to this river inlet. You're back down. Huh. Let's switch back. Wait a second. I want to keep working my way south here. Ooh. Ooh, look. Worm nests. <laughs> Worm signs. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been here in my life. Not that I know where <laughs> here is. I'm not even, yeah, I don't even know if I could find you. Okay, we've got crawlies and what is going on here? More worms? Man, I think so. I, I, I remember getting lost through here. I think I must have gotten insufficiently lost because I never got this lost before. <laughs> wow. Okay. We always strive to reach new highs on these feeds. So. Yeah, hang on a second here. Where am I? Okay. I'm still looking south here. Let's keep going. Let's go south. No, wait. I just came from this way. How did that happen? <laughs> well, that I already got lost while being lost. Oh, wait. Do I want to go this like, way? I want to go this way. Like you do. Yes, I want to go this way because I want to go up again now. No, I can't go up. Well, let me go up. No. Oh, man. Now I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, no. Like proper stuck? No, not proper stuck. Oh, okay. Okay. So, hmm. 
Let's go. I'm looking one. around for runes too. I'm like at the top of the other. Yeah, tell me if you see anything. I want to. Yeah, hit. I'm not. I can't tell if this is I the don't. same worm-infested puddle I've just been in. I'm not sure. I don't think there's any signs of life up here. Doesn't look like it. No. Okay, how do I get up the mountain? I have to go back and go up the... There's a path. Isn't there a path? Yeah, yeah. You almost want to start over again. This way. Yeah. It's a, it's a switchback, so it's a zigzag. Right. Oh, no, I don't mean the path to Rivendell. Oh. No, no, no. Well, where are you now? I, no. I, I don't even know where you are, so oh, I'm not sure where How did I end up going north again? Darn it. Anyway, so I'm going north, apparently. <laughs> but I'm going up. You're being herded. You're being herded, being herded by the switchback. Okay. Ooh. This is one of those valleys that I would... Look at that ruin, that nice tower on the far side. Is that Echad Candleth over there? Nope. Could I'm looking be. in the wrong direction. For all I know, it's Echad Candleth. That's just one of those towers. Yeah, see, look, there's the whole... Oh, yeah, you can see them really well from over here. It's like a whole Nowadays, row of towers. Nowadays, I think towers. they just put these towers there to taunt you. Yeah. You specifically. Me specifically, yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to get right up to the edge here. Okay, right, so see, there's the path that we went south along the river. Right, there's the path that runs, and see, there's that little, uh, there's that little um, archway, right, that it passed through right before it went down, because then that's the valley, and Echad Candleth is up there. It is over there, down to the south, west, right. And then up above that, we have these towers along the hills, up along the river. Kind of like we can see up by the Brandywine. Okay, well, this is a beautiful view of the... Ooh, and look, we can see, what's it called? Gwyn, Gwyn, Gwyngris from here? Gwyngris, yeah. Look at Gwyngris down there. That's up down the there again. Oh, yeah, I can see all the way into Holland from here. Jeez. Yeah. Well, at least I have a better idea of where you are now. <laughs> That's clearly what that is. Um, man. But do you know where the Forgotten Monument is? The Forgotten Monument? We forgot. Yeah. No clue. What monument? Well, the coordinates are 37.1 west and 12 south. Wait. Communicated by other the way west. around? 37.1 uh, south and 12 west? Well, no. no? I guess so, yeah. Okay. Yes, the other way around. Okay, I was going to say good, or else it's not very close to here, yeah, if that's the case. Yeah, this is bad. He sent me a direct message, so I'm, like, communicating. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, wait, so... Oh, look, and you can even see the gazebos over there. Whoa, what a beautifully clear day. I can see the inland gazebos on the on the far on side. On a clear day. I and can't... I can't wait till they give us a 64-bit client to even make this look better. Um, wow. Okay. Um... So wait a second. There's a monument. Is it up here? Um, the coordinates are thirty-seven point one south and twelve west. So you're I'm not sure too that's, far away from it. Yeah, I'm sure it's not going to be at all frustrating to find in these here hills. Okay, thirty-one point seven south. All right, hang on. I'm there. So now I'm headed west. 
Oh, ha, oh, ho. It's a gazebo. <laughs> okay, we have found a Rudaran gazebo. On the east side of the river. So we have evidence of, and yes, yes, they even have equipped it with the headless statue, as every good Rudaran gazebo is so equipped, <laughs> and with artichokes. Why do their gazebos hate heads? Well, you know, all of the cool gazebos have decapitated statues. Obviously, Rudarin. Rudarin. It's from the anticephalous period. (laughs) The anticephalous period of Rudarin ruins. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Lots of uh, fireplaces. People setting up here. Okay. All right. So, the Arnorians did come this far. Man. Boy, those Rudarins were everywhere. Yep. Man. And this again. Can't live with them, can't burn down their fortresses. Right. But you can decapitate the statues atop their gazebos, apparently. Unless they do it first. (laughs) It's true. Because we don't really have evidence that any of those statues ever did have heads. Um, Okay, so... So the Rudarans made it over here. We We have not found a fortress. Well, we did find Delosad, whatever that is, like a retreat center slash... um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like conference hall or whatever uh, it was. And then... Um, uh, hey, I found you guys. Yay! Right. And then there's... And, and and now we see this gazebo up on top of the hill. Hey, Orchard, you found the gazebo. Here we are. See? Isn't it a lovely view from here? It is a nice view. Well, this is... We've seen Very other, red. you know, Rudaran towers and gazebos set on scenic overlooks. But boy, this... Is a way more. I mean, this is looking, making all those, putting all those other scenic overlooks to shame. I don't think they're an acrophobic lot. No, look at that. We can see straight down into Eckhead Condoleth over there. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, wow. Okay, all right. Crazy. But I think this is not yet where I wanted to go, because (laughs) I think there's still another. But I don't know if I can get there from here. All right, well... I don't think so, because I think there's a cliff. There's a cliff. Yeah. And I have to say, Forgotten Monument seems like a bit of a misnomer. I mean, it's not exactly a monument. Oops, speaking of cliffs. Oh! Yeah. Yeah, you can skate down. Here we go. Whee! I can skate down, okay. All right, well, we're still headed south, so that's good. It's just a flesh wound. Okay. Whoa, what's... Oh, Kirith Dragon Nest. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, some kind of big dragons here. I think this is the secret valley I was... T- yes, I think so. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Some significantly sized fireworms here. This is not the same place where I was before. No, it is not. No, it isn't. Uh-huh. That's yes, pretty this fun. is the valley I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. I think I fell in this valley a couple times. I definitely found this place. I don't remember the way down from the path up from the fort of Bruinen. Yeah, it's definitely one of those. You remember the way down, but the way up's kind of vague. Yeah. 
the way down usually involved some foolhardy decision of, I'll just ride in this direction. All right. There's nowhere south from here, right? This is the this is the end of the of the of the going south. I think so. Think. Yes. Okay. Because at that point you're just gonna, f- yeah. It's it's a it's a boxed in canyon at this point. Yeah, and we have no evidence of any. Uh, no, look, an unlikely corpse. Whose corpse is this? Someone who met an untimely end, obviously, but. That's a. It's a bandit corpse, but... Yeah, it looks like a bandit. bit far-fetched to be at this place, My though. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wanted to see if there was any evidence that this place here had been taken over by any... Um, that, that the worms had been taking over any Rudauran ruins, but I don't... I don't think, think so. we can get back up that way. No, we can't. It was a one-shot Just deal. Just around. Okay. But we can leave from here and then go down that path towards the river. You know, that path. If I remember <laughs> where that is. But yeah, you have to go back up. It also does not help that since I've been here, they did that cosmetic upgrade. Yeah, with the bushes. With all the bushes. So there's so many more yeah. bushes than there used to be. Yeah, over here is where that... Where's that path? Yeah, here it is. Oh, someone went right off the cliff. Sorry. Here's the path. That's down here. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is the one I was following. I thought you were talking about this one. No, this is the one I was... I was looking for the secret valley at the top of the pass reached by this little path. Mm -hmm. So... This is it, right? Oh, no, this is the dead end. Oh, I've done this so so many times before. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And there I go off the cliff! Oh, no! Seriously? Seriously, fell off the cliff. Bam! (sighs) No problem. Are you respawning, or are you heading back up? Yeah, I'm going to respawn. I'm not going to be able to get back up. Oh, man. Where are okay. you? I don't know. Let's don't see. say Oscarath. <laughs> uh, no, back in the Bruining Gorges. Oh, okay, okay. Let's see, where am I exactly? Um, oh, I'm actually pretty close to Thornhide, actually. Yeah. yeah, I'm up by Thornhide. No problem. Yeah, this is why I... The, that that's why uh, I used to th- that place actually, um, those very cliffs is exactly where I first learned the trick of uh, using suicide as a form of transportation, uh, be- because I was trying laboriously to like find my way out of the mountains and back and uh, um, uh, and I fell off one of the cliffs and died and then mm-hmm. respawned here. And I'm like, Oh, and the stable master's right around the corner. That's super convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got to orient myself. Where am I? And where's the path? <sighs> okay. All right. I'm headed back to the Ford now. Yeah. So am I beat you there. Fourth no. Dallas thinks that it's shocking that Elrond would have allowed the Rudarans to build on his side of the river, but see, you know, I'm not sure. I think it's pretty cunning really, especially since, you know, that gazebo is built a long ways away from Rivendell. There's no way that anyone 
having anything to do with that gazebo way down there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Would uh, uh, be, you know, have any, be able to, I mean, you wouldn't be able to see down into Rivendell or anything like that. It's way on the other side. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you would want to, you know, let them kind of do their thing and not really notice I mean, if you forbade them, then you're giving away the fact that you're right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Better yeah. to watch and wait. Exactly. All right. All right, I'm back at the Ford. I'm almost there. Okay. You know what time is it? It's getting late. Yeah, it's getting kind of late. Okay, I am coming to the Ford. Here we are. Approaching the long flat mile. The Gobel's by really quickly. Here we go. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Here we are. Into the Ford. Excellent. Okay. Well, that was a fun little misadventure. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Well, I found that other valley that I wanted to find and confirmed there was nothing there, So, but we did find that one gazebo, so that was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks whoever sent us that tip. That was pretty useful. Yes. That was Merlinus. That was Merlinus. Thank you, Merlinus. Oh, great. Thank you, Merlinus. Yeah, he just had to, uh, he's uh, just having to go here. Um, excellent. Yes, he says he's the lore master who flew off the cliff just before I did, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I saw that. All right. That's the disadvantage of following my fearless leader. Yeah, let's see if we can make uh, a little bit more progress here towards the actual, you know, pass as it's supposed to be here. Okay. Now we are seriously ascending up into the mountains towards Rivendell. In earnest. In earnest. And I'm looking around and I'm not seeing any towers. All right, wait. That's just cliff over there. That's right? rock. That's just made of rock. Yeah, it's just rock and shadows. Okay, I, I saw the, the lines which looked like cut stone, but I think it's just the shadows of pine trees on the on the rock. Okay. It's almost like those uh, cliff mesas where they got the the wind just carving these little statues out of tall rock towers. Yeah, the um, you know, pine trees are so straight that I um, I keep seeing, you know, the the straight lines of the pines breaking the rocks and thinking I'm seeing construction. <laughs> it's scaffolding. <laughs> Okay, here's a campsite. Anything's scaffolding if you can climb on Dude, it. Dude, why is this campsite empty? Aren't there usually people here? It's a mustering horn. Oh, no, that's a little further up ahead. Oh, that's the next one. So this is, what, this is just, they left the tent here in case you want to muster with folks? Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's awful thoughtful of them. Pretty sure there's a burn ban on today. I wouldn't leave a fire unattended. Yeah. Well. Oh no, the badgers! Save me from the wee badgers! 
how the badgers are attacking. Yeah, they're nasty. That's one thing they really got right in the game. It's just well, how scary badgers we are. Missed, we missed Giant Valley, didn't we? Uh, did we? I think we did. Yeah, I think the entrance is... Again, harder for me to recognize huh. now with all these bushes. Yes, yeah. there it is. Oh, yeah. Did we miss the valley or survive the valley? There we go. Okay. Is this Giant Valley or Giant Dragon Valley? Well, some of both. Okay. Ah, now we're starting to see the mountains off in the distance. Mm-hmm. The for real mountains. It still looks like you, this is the kind of place where you'd expect a tower on every single outcrop. Yeah, that's what I keep looking for. I keep span scanning the heights to see if anybody built anything. But I'm not seeing anything yet. Okay. Well, I think... Um, oh, Whoa. hi there, large dragon. This thing's... Oh. Yeah, oh, good to see you too. That's excellent. Okay, well, we don't have time to explore all of Giant Valley. Maybe we'll have to yeah, start yeah, yeah. next time. I think it's getting fairly weird. There's a lot of stuff here. There is a lot of stuff here, and I want to explore Giant Valley. But we will... Hey, look, a building with a giant yeah, next a to lot. it. There's a few other buildings back there, too, in the distance. Yeah. Yes, there are. That's ex exciting. Okay, all right, so we'll explore Giant Valley next time. And then work our way closer to Rivendell. Um, we are like very close to uh, getting to Rivendell and to, to getting our explorations here to line up with the text. But uh, we'll see what we can do. Anyway, all right. So we're going to stop here at the edge of Giant Valley. Thanks, everybody, for wandering through the wilderness with me. Um, Fun to see how they have uh, how they have placed this, and I do love. I mean, several people were saying in the in the comments that, of course, how easy it is to get lost in the uh, in the, the 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 forest slopes and switchbacks and valleys. There is uh, is really the point, right? You know, they they do a very yes. good job of making Rivendell into a not obnoxiously concealed place, but uh, uh, but uh, uh, definitely a hidden valley that you feel a sense of accomplishment when you finally uh, have. Uh, <laughs> have found your way to it or give up and cheat and buy a stable that's right that's right <laughs> excellent so thanks everybody for joining us this week and we will see you guys next week for uh uh our the we we should actually make it into the ford next time uh and then uh we will explore <laughs> giant valley for next week so thanks everybody for joining us and i'll see you guys next week bye now good night bye Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.